Hello there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for, this is going to be a mouthful, this is a tough one, for Inside Out and Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant. Yep, we're doing two movies today. And I am Tom Chick, and to do these two movies, I have assembled a team that consists of Christian Malinsky. That's Crapton Malinsky. And we couldn't do it without taglines and other stuff from Kelly Wand. Uh, Inside Out's like Herman's Head for infants, and Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendants, uh, just for infants. Kelly Wand, those are both, both very nice. Do you have backups, or should we go to... Okay, no. well, Kelly Wand, I would like you to read me and Dingus an IMDb plot synopsis of a movie, and then Dingus and I, we're going to try to guess what the movie is. Uh, okay, this one ties in more with Larry Gay and not Inside Out. Actually, a nuclear-powered bus. Plot synopses were relating to the movies we see <laughs> on a particular week, so this is a new development. I think I said they were supposed right. to, and then even the week I said that, I, they didn't okay. really. So. Well, let's see uh, how this one bears up. All right, so go ahead. I'm sorry I cut you off. Uh, commence with the synopsis. I always have good intentions. That's you got to give me credit. For. I've never known you to have nuclear- ill will towards the plot synopsis. That's correct. I'm trying to promote bailing. Ooh, spoiler. All right, so is that a hint? No, I just met in general. It's not a hint at all. There is no bailing. Anyway, a nuclear-powered bus is going nonstop from New York to Denver and is plagued oh, by oh, disasters. Due- no? Damn. Due to the machinations. Come on, that was a good guess, at least. You think they had a bus? Well, I don't know. It was kind of... It, it was like... It could have been repurposed and going non-stop. as a bus. Stop. I don't know. Did they, I've, I've actually... They stop I haven't seen lot. Damnation Alley they since stop. I was a child. I don't remember much about it. We know they stopped to fight giant ants Scorpions. or something. Okay. Scorpions. Same thing. Still, I thought that was a pretty guess, good guess. All right, so go ahead. Nuclear bus non-stop from, what, Denver to New York? Go ahead. <laughs> Dingus is dead silent for all this. <laughs> Because I'm fondly remembering Damnation Alley and how much I love that vehicle, which I would hardly describe as a bus, but more of an RV. It could be. They used to get a life. In the future, they might have buses like that. Um, That's actually actually a good point. What is an RV but a bus for fewer people? The more you know. It's a bus you own. But getting back to what I was saying (laughs) earlier. A nuclear-powered bus is going nonstop from New York to Denver and is plagued by disasters due to the machinations of a mysterious group allied with the oil lobby. <laughs> the driver's injured. <laughs> a washed-up, down-on-his-luck-but-used-to-be-great type, who, as it happens, used to be engaged to the inventor's daughter, is brought in to drive the giant bus, which includes a one-lane swimming pool and a one-lane bowling Jesus, alley. I need to see this, whatever it is. It sounds like uh, wow. what was that, that train movie... That the uh, Silver Street. Snowpiercer. It does sound like yeah, it's like, like a precursor to Snowpiercer. Or a precursor to Snowcursor. That's your hint. Okay, just just changing You're, the position also, of words doesn't it, necessarily make a joke. I just wanted to let you know. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. All right, so single lane bowling uh, alley and swimming pool on this nuclear powered bus. Carry on. That's it. That's it. Jeez. It ends with one lane swimming pool and one lane bowling alley. I don't think really cannonball run. They both have one lane. I haven't seen this, but I feel like I should have. Uh, it's called the big bus. 
<laughs> Not a very imaginative title. You ever saw that? It's a little on the nose. Joseph Bologna is the Robert Hayes in it. Do you remember that guy? Joseph Bologna? Mm-hmm. Bologna? I, what year was yeah, what like, year? He was the one... That was 75, but he was in that movie Blame It on Rio with Michael Ayn and Demi Moore. The one where Michael Caine has sex with his friend's right. daughter. And it's not Demi Moore. She's his daughter. And he blames daughter. it on Rio. Yeah, and then, and then the other dad goes, yeah, I guess but it was But getting back Rio to this big bus movie. movie. So you've actually seen this, <laughs> Kelly Wand? Yeah. It's kind of slow. It, I remember it was fu- uh, it was funnier in my memory than when I saw it again. There's like a piano player named Johnny Favorite. Wow, that's a that's a good uh, pull. But yeah, I've I've haven't seen it. Obviously, Dingus hasn't. Um, it's like airplane. It's like airplane, but not as good. It's what airplane would have been like if airplane wasn't. Speaking hilarious. of which, I look forward to this week's uh, <laughs> synopsis. Um, but first, let's talk some inside out. So, uh, Dingus, why don't you tell the folks listening without spoiling anything? Oh, you know what? Should I tell you guys? I watched a little bit more of Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. Do you guys know who the hottie is in this movie? Do you remember? I remember uh, she's pasty. I remember that. It's an odd choice because of what has happened to her career since Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. But early on in the movie, you know, the the beginning of the movie uh, is preoccupied with us introducing Remo himself. But then it shifts to show you the, the plot that he's going to foil. Um... And the plot involves uh, some some uh, defective rifles being contracted out to the military. And the person who gets wise to this plot, she's uh, she's she's in uniform, so they're going for that factor to try to make her look sexy. But she is played yeah. by Kate Mulgrew. Right. And I think Kate. I, can, I knew she was on Cheers. Well, Kate Mulgrew in a uniform is about as sexy as like an overweight gym teacher. Like there's something. I, and I don't mean to insult Miss Mulgrew or anything, but there's something very asexual about her wearing a uniform. And I think those Star Trek TV shows that she was on, probably, like, that was an intentional part of what was going on. Um, Wait, Kirstie Alley was the one on Star Trek. Kate Mulgrew plays, like, was a, a, a Captain Kirk figure on one of the Star Trek shows, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah, you're right. She's the Yeah, and she's in a uniform the whole time. So, Remo Williams was her start of being... You know, like a, a, a chicken uniform in a movie. Now, I don't know if her and Remo are going to get together. Like, I don't know if there's if this is something that develops later in the movie, but I'm guessing it does happen. Because, since she's trying to call out this evil contractor, she, she's gotten wise to the plot. Um, bad guys have said, uh, you know, take take her out. Like, take care of this chick. And I think Remo is going to go in and defend her and save her. So I think they're going to hook up. They have a threesome with the Statue of Liberty. Nope, Kelly Wand. There, there's. Uh, I do remember that. I think that the climactic action sequence is on the Statue of Liberty. And what's being set up with Remo's character Get is it? that he's really good at uh, balancing and not being afraid of heights. So all this is going to lead up to some battle. I'm guessing on top of the Statue of Liberty. Presu- I'm also guessing to save Kate Mulgrew from the bad guys. That movie, that movie uh, was the first one to bother me. Maybe Karate Kid was where the character learns how to balance like that can be taught instead of just like it's just their coordination no balance is all in in the mind kelly wand but you gotta have a base you gotta be good at it to start no you just need core strength you can't teach you you need core strength and you need to not be afraid of heights 
I trip over shit all the time, and well, I love heights. That's why you haven't been recruited by this secret organization to save Kate Mulgrew. Now, isn't it, Kelly Wand? Well, I'll write him back, then. We'll see how that goes for you. Maybe, and maybe Joel Grey can whip you into shape. Tom says you guys can teach me, so... That's what All right, Dingus, that's enough of this nonsense. Why don't you get in here and tell the listeners what movies, <laughs> plural, we saw this week? Dingus right. silent again through that. Uh, I was uh, gobsmacked. What can I tell you? Kate Mulgrew. Well, this week we saw both Inside Out and Larry Gay, colon, Renegade Male Flight Attendant. <laughs> These are both 2015 American movies. Uh, both of them, if you look at their descriptions, have the word comedy appended to them. To only one of them does this word apply. Oh, what do you have? Um, ins- I get it's Inside Out. What's wrong with you? Inside Out, thank you for bringing that up, Kelly Wan, was directed by Pete Docter. Uh, with, it, it's very strange, but in the, credit, in the opening credits of the movie, it says directed by Pete Docter. Then the next screen says co-directed by Ronaldo Del Carmen. So it's it's got co-directors, but one of them actually gets called mm. co-director. Well, it's like a pilot and a co-pilot, Dingus. That makes sense to me. Also, also uh, very good. Starring. Co-starring. All right, let's bump Uh-oh. fists and then fly away, Tom. All right. Uh, so Inside Out was was written by uh, Meg Lafave, Josh Cooley, and Pete Doctor as well. Uh, it stars a whole bunch of people, and it's more of a joy to, to just discover that as you watch the movie than it would be for me to list all the wonderful names in this movie. Um, so you can go ahead and just uh, watch Inside Out and find out who's in it rather than me telling you who's starring. Um, Inside Out is rated pg for mild thematic elements and some action. We also again saw Larry mm. Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant. Um, <laughs> I love it when he says it, Tom. Is that why you picked it? Uh, I picked it because I wanted you guys, because I watched it and I wanted you guys to watch it. Yep. yep. Right. Tom wanted us to watch it, uh, which is, uh, an, again, American 2015 American movie about the devastating effects of narcolepsy. It was directed by Sam Friedlander. And it was written by Mike Sikowitz. Wait, what was that movie called again? That was called Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight mm. Attendant. <laughs> What's weird about the IMDb um, page, it says it was written by Mike Sikowitz and written by Mike Sikowitz. So Mike Sikowitz, for some reason, is listed twice as the writer. He was the writer and the co-writer. He was also the co-writer. It stars Mark... Mike Feuerstein. Oh please, have some respect for the man. Let's, try, let's take that one more time. Who does it star? I'm sorry. It stars Mike Feuerstein, who also was one of the executive well. producers. Danny Pudi, Patrick Warburton, and Stanley Tucci. Mm. Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant, is rated R for sexual content, including references. <laughs> References are a whole nother plateau. Uh, and what's great is that they constantly avoided language, so language is not part of this rating. It's just rated R for sexual content, including references. But no language throughout yeah. for an R rating. Right. right. There's no language throughout. Yeah. Uh, Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant, has not been reviewed, so it is not on Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic. And what? it does not have a theatrical release. It's a video-on-demand release, so we can't talk about its box office, so, but that's fine. Uh, Inside Out, on the other hand, came in at number two this week behind Jurassic World. 
a movie oh. that Dingus loved. Uh, by the way, I yeah. should say to the listeners, uh, we record generally on a, on a Sunday night. Um, the box office estimates come out on Sunday, uh, but sometimes when a movie performs above expectations or below expectations, on Monday morning, they will revise the totals. Uh, when we recorded last week, we reported that Jurassic World was the number two opening weekend of all time, a couple million dollars behind the original Avengers. Uh, on Monday morning, the actual box office receipts were tallied, and it turns out Jurassic World is now the number one opening weekend of all time. It actually <sighs> did beat the Avengers. So, a movie Dingus loves, directed by second-time director yep. Colin Trevorrow. You know, it's a piquant tale of the effect of divorce on young children. That is now the number one opening movie of all time. Well, Dingus helped that happen. I think so. so. With his enthusiasm, uh, uh, yeah, a, lot of, a lot of people were like, well, you know what? I guess I better go see this. I heard Dingus's review, and I'm going to see this. That's Tom generally how it works. Yeah. So it was also number one this weekend. Um, so it, it <sighs> knocked Inside Out down to a number two spot. Uh, Inside Out made $91 million. But here's the good news. Um so Box Office Mojo is the site I go to to look this stuff up. I'm crediting them with, with digging up these particular details, but I think these are important. So first of all, it's the second biggest opening for Pixar. Uh, Toy Story did great. It did $110 million. Toy Story 3, I'm sorry. did $110 million on its opening weekend. This is the second biggest opening for Pixar behind Toy Story. However, and I think this is an important detail, uh, a lot of the reasons that these movies open big, you know, the conventional wisdom among studios is that franchises sell, and boy do they. If you look at the top opening movies of all time, they tend to all be sequels. Um, you know, in the case of Avengers, you could argue, yeah, it's, it's part of a, it, it's not technically a sequel, but it's part of a franchise. Uh, IPs, intellectual properties, sell. They move movies. Uh, what's notable about Inside Out, it is the top opening movie of all time, for an original IP, for a movie that is not a sequel, that's not part of a tie-in. Um, I think you could say, in a way, Pixar's reputation, like that obviously helped sell it, but what didn't help sell it, it wasn't a tie-in to any other existing series or franchise. Uh, so it handily beat the previous record holder, which was Avatar. <laughs> so... Can, which Dingus also yep. was. So congratulations to uh, Inside Out for holding a, I, what I feel is a very important distinction. Because a lot of times when a movie does a great opening, you can argue, is its reputation, is the franchise, how much of a crutch is the franchise? Uh, Inside right. Out, all on its own, kicked some serious ass with a $91 million opening. So, All right, so... Yeah, and it's also not... It's about a chick, too. It's like about a girl, the inside of a girl's head. Um, and it was still the number one movie. Right. Like, uh, and it, it also did critically very well on Rotten Tomatoes. It even beat. Actually, did this time Mad Max? It's at ninety-eight percent positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's also what Mad Max is at. Uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, it is at ninety-three. Huh. So Kelly, Wand, why don't you give us a plot synopsis for one of these movies or the other? Okay. Maybe here's here's an exercise. Why don't you just start the synopsis and not tell people which movie it's from, and then they can guess. <laughs> okay, it's one 
Okay, it's one of the two movies you mentioned, although I think you only mentioned one. No, yeah, both. It's either Inside Out or Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Detective. <clears throat> Wait, say it Wait, say it again. Do you like it when I say it? Because I'll say it. I'll say it till the cows come home. I and I'm just say what you just said it's again. Either Inside Out or Larry Gay, yeah. Renegade Male Flight. Oh, I don't know why I'm calling it a detective. I've done that a few times. I feel like I need to credit him with with a greater career. Yeah, Renegade Male Flight Attendant. He's not a detective. That's an error on my part. He's a flight attendant, not a flight detective. Although that would be a fascinating movie as well. Be a great job. You have, too. you know, you have air marshals. Liam Neeson played one. You could also have flight detectives. Mm-hmm. They investigate crimes that take place on on airlines. Or just if like somebody like you know we've run out of the chicken. Uh, let me let me investigate. Right, exactly. They find out like if the if the passenger has a question about something, they they investigate that. Mm-hmm. You made an error. A I R E R. A I R E R. Okay, I'll accept that, Kelly Wand. So what's the title of one of these movies? <laughs> so we're either going to get an Inside Doudopsis or. A Larry Gayopsis, Renegadeopsis, male flight attendedopsis. Hey. Well, See, you always try when you're not supposed to. Sorry, yeah. But one of those two things is about to happen. So, Kelly Wand, I invite you to take over the console. A steward, like Lord of the Rings' Faramir, has sex with the brunette women, but he was really just masturbating, so she gives him a CD with a video on it of the sex they didn't have. For some reason, she labels it Ice Age 5 License to Chill. Then she makes him a breakfast tray with food on it that he eats as he walks across New York City, but it magically replenishes by the time he reaches a homeless person on his way to an appointment with his book publishers. They ask him to make some revisions and promote... Promote a... <laughs> a nab with hair. What? Who also works there for telling them the meeting was very important. The IMDb wrote this, by the way, Tom, so that's why it's so confusing. Kramer from Seinfeld stole his mom's luggage one night, so that's how come he has narcolepsy. His white friend Johnny is having grandfather issues, but Larry saves them with kung fu and also teaches a woman how to read computer right side up. But the pilots make fun of him because he had Tourette's during a flight simulation one time, and medical conditions are for women. The Italian woman likes seatbelts in Larry's masturbation movie, along with the grandmother in aisle three, so Larry buys her vodka with some rocks in the toilet. A montage happens that ends in a pool and scrotum with an oatmeal subplot. (laughs) The white friend asks him what happened before the movie, so Larry tells him about a date he had with a redhead near their pool, handing wet towels to people coming out of the pool, that the date started with her muffin licking his grass blood, and then they ate thumbs at Benihana. The second woman he had sex with in the toilet turns out to be working for the robots John Turturro. The Benihana woman had a kid by him, so he teaches the kid math and fixes the sofa and the wall, but the woman's not interested in her broken wall or him. To pay for a plane flight, the kid leaves Ice Age 5 and some paper on his bed and gets on board a plane because of a fortuitous coal miner ordinance. Larry loses the boner contest to the woman robot and gets fired, but luckily he has to work alongside her along with all the other fired flight attendants. He tricks her by unplugging her, which he knew how to do, then makes the plane run out of fuel. So since it has no fuel, he drives it down a freeway to the third woman's house and tells her his son is on the slide. He's made president of the airline and dances with his enemies. The end.
All right, short and sweet. So uh, before we talk about Inside Out, uh, I, am I wrong to have wanted you guys to see this? I had no expectations for it. I thought it, it was funny. Yeah, so I, it, watching this, I, I part of my thought process was this must be how Kelly Wan felt watching They Came Together, which is a movie I yeah, hated. Yeah, it was like um, – I didn't think it was funny. I liked the actors in it, many of the actors in it, but for whatever reason, it absolutely didn't work for me. But somebody who enjoys They Came Together – they must feel the same way I felt watching this silly Larry Gay thing. I think with Larry Gay, it's kind of more about an... He's sort of an original comic creation, and it's not like a parody of anything in that, particular. I wonder if that helps too, Kelly Wand, is that for me, making yeah. fun of romantic comedies, which are already dopey, seemed like low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit, And plus, fruit, I don't think... Right. Uh, who is the guy that... So the guy who did They Came Together is also the guy, I think, from The State in Wet Hot American Summer. can't think of his name. Um... David yeah, Wayne. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I don't think his sense of humor works for me, um, and so that that was a problem. Um, but for what, I think, well, when I was watching, they came together. It started out like that, but as it went on, I kind of did feel like the character. I started kind of enjoying with the character. Like they did seem like real people, like Larry. So Gay. I, I'm not surprised, Kelly, one that you were able to appreciate Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant. The real uh, question mark here, the the elephant in the room, if you will, is Dingus. Dingus. Was I right to to uh, compel... You were going to say forced. No, no. I was going to say forced, but I'm going to use a gentler word and say compel you to watch Larry Gay, Renegade, My Old Flight Attendant. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> so, uh, like... like Dickus hates I comedies. So. Dumb comedies. Yeah, I hate comedies and I have no sense of humor. Well, here's, here's, no, he liked your here's one of the reasons that I, I would think that you might appreciate Larry Gay, Dingus, is... Part of what I admire this thing, about this silly little thing, uh, is the absolute commitment that Mark Feuerstein, who I don't know from anything, uh, Dingus, you said you recognized him from TV, I thought this guy was like, his comedic timing, his level of commitment, his energy, I thought was fantastic on all three counts. I, I thought the guy was really funny. Um, there's a couple of mildly amusing things that happen in the movie, and I agree with you in that assessment of him being pretty funny and having um, a pretty good comic timing. But I, I don't understand what this movie is trying to be. You guys tried to reference uh, things that are parodies. This movie is not doing that. I don't know what this no, movie no, is I, trying to. No, no, I think we both do. agree it's not a parody of something. Like it's not like that's what they came together is a straight up parody of romantic comedies. Larry Gay, male flight okay. attendant, is sort of like, and this would be, I think, the negative way to describe it. You know, what if you had a goofy character from a Saturday Night Live skit and you stretched it into a full movie? I think that's how somebody might describe it who doesn't really like it. But it is a new, it is a, a you know, he's his own character, and there's no parodying here. Like it's not taking, it's not like Airplane, for instance, where it's making fun of disaster movies. It, right, but I think uh, it, I think it thinks it is doing that at certain times. I mean, it, it references airplane in obvious way, in a most obvious way. Yeah, it's really I think, I think, and, and him, and the fact that he's a producer on it, I just kept thinking, is this some sort of weird? That's no, 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 that's not at all but unusual. Where like an actor is one of the guys, because an actor who's done well is one of the guys who finances uh, a movie. But like, but this isn't like a huge star who. I mean, th this is a pretty decent cast right. for this what I what I was expecting this movie to be and I'm, I mean I like this guy I've seen him in a couple of things usually on TV he was he was in the West Wing for a while he was good in that he um, he was in another pretty he was in this this show uh, that 
I, I never really saw much of, but it was called Royal Pains, and he was fine in it. I mean, he's been fine in a lot of things that I've seen him in, and he played a coffee shop dude in some sitcom that I watched well, for a little while. I can't remember what it was. And just asking this, none of those parts, if I'm not mistaken, was like a straight-up, over-the-top comedy like this, right? Like, that's not something that you know him for. No, no. He was, he was, but he has a pretty good, subtle comic timing. So, yeah, I agree with you. He totally commits to this. But I don't understand what exactly he's committing to. I don't understand, is this guy supposed to be a knucklehead, or is he straight-up brilliant? I mean, he's obviously not brilliant because of the way he talks in that silly publishing meeting. Um, but... He, he's supposed to be heroic, but he's not quite, and then he's an idiot in other parts of the movie, and and then they have this whole ridiculous kid subplot that he stumbles into. I mean, the movie is such a mess that it's hard to really appreciate what you're talking about. I, I just don't think it's very funny oh, at all. Is, let's just disagree to agree. Oh, fuck, I screwed up the line. What's the stupid line? Now, now you're just saying words. I screwed up the line, yeah. I think you didn't like him when he landed the plane on the freeway. <laughs> No, I thought that was idiotic. I mean, the one thing that was funny was when when the person waves him ahead. I mean, that's a that's a mildly funny joke. That is a callback to a joke that happened a second earlier, and they're they're constantly doing that kind of. Okay, here's a mildly funny joke, and we're going to call it back in the next scene, but it's not worthy of a callback kind of a thing. So, Dingus, I, I mean, there's, there's a couple of funny moments, but I don't disagree with you at all when you say it's idiotic, and that's part of what I loved about it. I mean, that's I, yeah, I, I you know, it's very. It goes all in. It really does. Like it, it just. It goes R-rated too. It's R-rated idiotic, which is even rarer. I thought that might bother you, but Kelly. Not even R-rated enough. Yeah, because it's I definitely mean, not. On. It doesn't go for the raunch factor, which I think it could have gone for mm. more. I mean, it goes it for, like cutting off a thumb and spraying blood on somebody's face. I mean, and that, and or even the, the barf. Those things just made me want to throw up. They're not funny. That doesn't funny to me. <laughs> So dingus. No, it's because of who it's happening to. Because he was doing it with the sidekick, and the sidekick was always—he's the uh, whoops character who like nothing goes right for. Yeah, I guess to eat the vomit. But also, Larry Gay—he was kind of—he's dumb about some things, but he was uh, a Lothario too. Right, and it's—it's all—it's so all in the. So, so this was one of one of my complaints about Spy. Is in Spy, you know, are we supposed to sin- is. Is Melissa McCarthy supposed to be super competent or super incompetent? And one of my complaints about that movie is that it was inconsistent. Uh, and this movie, by the way, also gleefully inconsistent. And Dingus, when you say it's kind of a, a mess, I, I don't disagree. When you say it's idiotic, I don't disagree. But I don't think that. I mean, I, I, it doesn't exactly, care. It doesn't care. Like it's not. It's not trying one way or the other. It's just yeah. splashing out whatever it thinks is funny uh, on the screen. And I happen to agree with. The, the writer's sense of humor, uh, and I really enjoyed Mark Feuerstein's performance. So yeah. those two kind of those two things there kind of cemented it for me. I had a lot of affection for his yeah. character. Like I do want to see more movies where he has adventures. Yeah, hopefully, God, exactly. Don't. Hopefully, maybe he'll get like a it's new funny. career. It'll be like Larry Gay. <laughs> maybe he can become a renegade male flight detective next. Because you know what, Dingus? He's actually cool. He's like really optimistic. Like you should like him. I think you could. Dingus, I think he's a, he's a guy you'd like to have a beer with. You you must concede yeah. that at least. He's yeah. fun. He has a good heart. We're not winning. Uh, I don't want to have a beer. I'll have a Jack with him though. All right. Well, so that one didn't work for Dingus. Let's see how the other movie we saw this week worked for Dingus. Dingus, what did you think of, uh, of, of Inside Out? Oh God damn! I love that movie so much. Sorry, I shouldn't have used that kind of well, language. There goes our family See, audience for the family movie. Nice work. Dingus, you are... Got, no, they could use that in Dingus the press. gets a PG-13 rating for a PG movie. Nice work, Dingus. 
God damn, I love this movie, Dingus. Says Alina. <laughs> no, I really, I really, really cared for this a great right, well, deal. Kelly Wand, as really our, uh, you obviously hate movies about redemption and stuff like that. Uh, how did this movie work for you? Uh, it's just probably it, it was Pixar-y enough to where I liked it, I think. But I was also a little bummed. It's just a little spelled out to actually have characters named unhappiness and fear. And so it kind of felt like a message movie. A sort little of more. like the big bus. A little too on the nose, you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> a little too okay. on the nose. Because here's the thing about message uh-huh. movies. They don't have any repeat value. And it's like your kid will see it and then never care again. Like. They'll just go away with like So here's where, uh, because I'm with Dingus in that I would say GD, I love this movie. I wouldn't put it that way because I wouldn't cuss. Um, but uh, I'm with Dingus in that I think this is amongst Pixar's greatest uh, pieces of work. However, yep. Kelly, yeah. I agree with you in that, and this is part of why I admire the movie, um, it's missing the kind of spectacle value of something like Brave or Up or Wall-E. Uh, in that those movies... I think would sustain repeated viewings. Uh, I would be more than happy to watch Inside Out again for sort of the emotional value of it. Um, but it doesn't have that kind of. It doesn't seem like a movie that a kid would want to put in the DVD player over and over and over again, like Brave does. Um, yeah. And I don't. It's also a. Bummer. But I don't know. Well, I'm I'm fine with that because I think you could say the same about Up, for instance. Um, but I, I'm right, not that's entirely what sure. It's it's it's. Well, it's totally for kids, though. Well, well, I don't think any of Pixar's greatest movies are totally for kids. I mean, that's my problem with things like Monsters. Like some of the Pixar stuff that doesn't work for me, I think, is aiming too much at kids um, right. and is trying too hard to be. And when I say not totally for kids, there's there's parts of this movie I don't think are for kids at all. Oh, that's um, interesting. Well, why do you say that, Dingus? I would have thought so. I, I think there's a there's a lot about this movie that's that's for. Adults only. Uh, like that whole that whole journey through the abstraction center, which is very weird, and uh, and a lot of that, a lot of the emotional content of this movie. I, I mean, like my my son went to see it, and he was like, "Yeah, I, I liked it pretty much." Um, so when you say not for don't kids, think, you don't mean that you think kids shouldn't see it. You just mean it's sort of aiming a little over kids' heads with like its content. You're saying? Oh, absolutely. I don't think it's inappropriate for children. I, I just think, I think that it's, like I think it's made for adults. I think a lot of this movie is made for adults, in a way that other Pixar movies, where they are they're hitting both both sections in this sort of even kind of a way, like the way I don't know a more mature way that uh, Looney Tunes used to be able to make jokes for adults and kids in such a perfect manner. Um, well, that I, no, I think that I don't think this movie splits. Splits well, the that again, I agree with, in that it doesn't have a lot of kid-friendly spectacle, too, also. And even that whole... Oh, okay. I, yeah, I guess I would I agree. Because when you said spectacle, I thought you meant just adventure and thrilling things, because I think there's plenty of that. And I could see putting this thing in the in the player over and over again. But but I see what you mean by spectacle. But do you even now. mean, like, as far as, like, like, you know, Brave, where she's doing... I mean, Brave has so much, like, fantasy trope stuff, um that I can see kids, like, loving that over and over again. In this, like, would kids get tired of them wandering through those halls of long-term memory? Like, like I don't think that of that as traditional adventure that the kids would appreciate. Yeah, I think it's probably right about either, that. But, I think. But, the, but all the stuff with, you know, with her down in the depths, the bing-bong and everything, I mean, I think some of that is very, very much that part of that fabled adventure that kids kind of can groove into. Well, I, I also like what uh, – I think there's a, a level of subversiveness to it, and part of it is uh, just overall how smart it is, like with this 
this construct of human psychology and the way it plays with it and the way it introduces different rules and stuff. Like, so much of that, really, really smart, and, and, and especially at this kind of adult level, like that room of, of abstract thought, that stuff was freaking brilliant. And I think it would be lost yeah. on a lot of kids who might think it's kind of funny to see the, the weird shapes and stuff. Um, but that was just so incredibly smart. Um, but I think that's one level where it's kind of subversive it is, is that it's willing to really play with cerebral concepts, like quite literally yeah. cerebral concepts. Um, but more importantly, where I think it's subversive, and Dingus, this is, I wondered if maybe you were talking about this, uh, is that it has a a message that I don't think you get in a lot of children's entertainment. And I so deeply admire when Pixar does this with their stories. And so, for example, um, Toy Story 2 is really a movie about death and coming to terms with death. Um, Brave, the ultimate point of Brave, I think, is, uh, hey, you know what, kids? Your parents probably know better than you, and maybe you should listen to them. Um, You know, that's not the typical children's story message. Uh, Up, again, a movie about the inevitability of of transience, of of things passing. Um, Up is kind of subversive. And this, by the way, I think is hugely subversive to to have a movie that is basically telling the audience, which includes children, you know what? Sadness is a fundamental part of life. Um, right. Holy cats, why would you make a movie to tell children that? That's amazing to me. And I deeply admire that they did that. Well, I, I think for me, and, and this is my particular point of view, I think that even more subversive for me is that I think this movie is sending a direct message to parents, especially modern parents, even more than it is to children. It might very well be sending that sort of message, which is a, which is sort of an odd sort of comfort that you're talking about, Tom. But I think it's also sending a message, or even maybe more so sending a message to parents that, huh. hey, you guys, it's okay if your kids don't have a perfect life. It's all right. This is the point. And as... as the modern parent who is constantly hovering or was constantly hovering or had read so many books about, you know, don't ever let your kid see this. Don't ever do this. Watch out for that. Be always be mindful of everything your kid is going through. And, and you're constantly worried about negativity intruding upon your kid's life because of the consequences. And then at a point of being a parent, you understand that's just a part of life and what your memories are. And one of the wonderful things that this movie teaches you is that sadness is a part of life, an important part of appreciating joy and appreciating your memories. And I, I love that as a parent. Hey, that's, that's great, Dingus. I didn't, that didn't even occur to me. You know, I was just thinking about what do kids come away from this with? And that, that's great. didn't even occur to me that, yeah, a, a, a family movie that, that basically also has this subversive point for parents as well. Very nice. Uh, Kelly Wand? Uh, so, <laughs> then how... It's sad that you have to tell them that. But go on. Uh, well, but... Uh, um, you know, and and I just so admire that they decided to make a movie revolving ar- around that point. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, yeah. Kelly Wand, yeah. So, what? Uh, you, you seem to be a little less fond of it th- than Dingus and I. Uh, what were some of your reservations, or what made it not work for you as well as some of Pixar's other greatest movies? No, you guys are right. Those are all true. Those are all good things, and those are all things I guess I like about it. But it was also. I don't know. It was like it was kind of like uh, they came together rather than Larry Gay in that the characters are all sort of archetypes, so they were sort of constrained by their needs and like what they were. 
like anger wasn't going to have a love story. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, well, maybe in one of the sequels. We'll, we'll see. Well, I mean, that that's part of this kind of playfulness that it has with its rules, with these constructs. Um, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, disgust wasn't obviously disgusted with everything the entire time. Right. And they even give her a moment where she's the one who thinks, hey, let's use anger as a blowtorch. You know, why would disgust do that? I don't think they're... I, I think I, I kind of like that they weren't just making these little one-dimensional things, and that that Joy cries at one point. You know, I mean, none of these little creatures in inside of her head, none of these emotions, is is simple or or restricted. Or and you're right, there's no love story about anger because that's not what the the movie is about. But it does show all of these little creations as, as relatively complex, specifically Joy, because I think. You know, the, the main character in this movie isn't necessarily Riley, but I think it's Amy Poehler's Joy character. Um, and right. her coming to terms with this idea, I mean, with this duality she has with sadness. Well, and she's the stand-in for Riley. Like, I think Joy is... She's well, actually Joy sees herself right. that. She sees herself as the totality of Riley. And I think that's, and the, the, and that's, other, part, of, and that's part of, I think, the nature of growing up. This sort of loss of childhood joy is a fundamental factor of, of growing up. And, you know, the baby, a, a, a little baby is characterized by pure joy at first until sadness comes in and pushes the button because the baby's hungry or whatever. Uh, I think what the movie is showing you, and one of its really clever constructs, is this idea of the increasing complexity of a human being as that human being accumulates experiences. And this is expressed in, when Riley's a baby, there's just the one button. And over the course of the movie, the complex gets bigger. Uh, the console, I mean, gets bigger, gets more complex. Um, I forget what track I was on, but that, that's part of, of this, this construct they're creating of human psychology. It begins as very simple. Childhood is characterized by pure joy, but over time, people become increasingly complex and the console that controls them gets bigger, has more buttons, can do more weird things. More things can go wrong. Well, what do you, what do you think about that, Tom, as far as how the... the Because uh, I, I agree with you as far as the evolution of that is concerned. And I was a little bit concerned with disgust from that point of view. And then I started thinking about, well, what are the other dis emotions they could have chosen in that place? If you're not right. going to choose disgust. Right. I'm not quite sure about that. And then I started thinking about more adult emotions. And then I realized, oh, yeah, we, we develop different emotions as we get older. But then when they show the right. the... The little, little gags inside the parents' heads. They're the same ones. So yeah. how do you yeah, feel about that? No, uh, and again, I think this is partly because this, you know, Pixar is telling a story for, um, for families, for children as well as parents. Um, you know, imagine if this was a Spike Jones creation. You know, there would be a sexuality right. in there, and there would be a suicide or a despair or something in there. Um, right. Yeah, so there's definitely a – I don't know that I would call it sanitized, but a much more family-friendly, upbeat – portrait of people you know the various uh, neuroses that we eventually develop aren't quite addressed and I, you know they they kind of allude to that the fact that there's a puberty button that's a great joke by the way um right so what does this do oh i'm sure it's no big deal um you know this is very much a prepubescent story of, it's very much a story about a prepubescent girl um right. and i'm okay with that even though we do fast forward to the full-grown adults um in interior control rooms as well yeah I think those are just 
those are pure gags, and they're right. fine for what they are. I mean, I think that in some cases those are the weakest things because the guy is like, oh, I'm thinking about hockey, duh, and this is going to be like the the sitcom exactly. family sitting at the table. Oh, she's asked me something. Uh, what did I do? The Brazilian uh, helicopter uh, pilot. You know, oh, I could have been. Exactly. Yeah, those, yeah. Were, those were just gags. See, lust gets subsumed into the other ones. There's no lust right. one. Yeah, and I would think that lust, jealousy, the things, that, you know, ecstasy, they're, they're, other things would develop as these emotions develop, and they're, and they would split off into other colors, or other colors would develop. I mean, it's okay for the gag, but I think you're right, Tom. I think there is sort of a let's just keep the hues simple for this particular version yeah, of this just imagine movie. Imagine to this movie for. Uh, you know, a child in a much more dysfunctional family, or I, I mean, this this you could take this construct and go very very dark. And of course, Pixar's not going to do that, um, but it does kind of make you wonder of alternate scenarios, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's dingus. I uh, you called out that one of the things you enjoyed was recognizing the voices. I didn't see the cast list going into this. Maybe about 15 minutes in, I was like, oh, that's Amy Poehler. Uh, I don't think I recognized a single one of the other voices. You know, I know the names in the cast list. Uh, oh, and you did spoil for me that was Lewis Black, by the way, as Anger. Uh, so I knew that one. Uh, but I couldn't single out as another a single one. I knew unhappiness. Uh, sadness, you mean? Sadness. Yeah. sadness, yeah. So she is the woman yeah. from The Office, right? Yeah, that's Phyllis. Yeah, that's Phyllis Smith. I loved her in this. Yeah, she was awesome. I loved her. And did in you know this. that was her from watching Dingus? Like, did you recognize her voice or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. A, a, a little while in, I finally recognized that that was Phyllis from, uh, I mean, that's not her name in the office. I can't remember what, what her character name is in the office, but I remembered it was Phyllis. And I love that actress so much in the office. Um, so hearing her do this, I, I was just so surprised that she got to work in this, that it wasn't some bigger star quite simply getting to do it. Because I thought she was, oh, man, she was just so charming, so wonderful. Uh, I was delighted to see who, the, who were voicing the parents, but good lord, I never would have guessed that. Um, uh, who, it was Diane Lane and yeah, Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, Diane Lane. Yeah. Oh, Diane Lane. Okay. Yeah. And of course, I recognized Richard Kind. You know what? Yeah, exactly. Jingle. Like I don't think I knew his name, but I was like, "That's the guy from uh, uh, a Serious Man." For serious. Yeah, serious yeah, Man. Yeah, right. right. Uh, who was discussed? Mindy Kaling, Kalish, someone. Who, oh, okay. Gonna, from the from office. Mindy Kaling. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I guess since I use negative energy, like it's gotten me a lot in life. I guess I liked that sadness did, but like anger doesn't get his own. Like he never does the right thing. Uh, he is like the sometimes. one, Kelly Wand, who eventually saves them all by letting them back into the control room. So I I beg to differ with your analysis. <laughs> he lets the back well, yeah, in. Yeah, because they can't get through the glass. Otherwise, they would, would have just hit the glass and then fallen into the, the memory dump. Well, dis- disgust lets them in by using him as a power. Yep, but tool. without anger, Kelly Wand, Riley never would have gotten a groove back. That's right. Unless they'd had a blowtorch. That's a good point. If they had equipped the control room with a blowtorch, uh, they so wouldn't need anger. anger. I also love Kelly Wan's statement, Anger, a Love Story, as a title for a movie. That's what I wanted. I need more cars. And I did love Louis Black. I like that guy a lot. I think he's pretty funny when he gives rants, and I thought he was... I thought it was pretty funny casting, actually. Well, there's no way we will not be seeing... Like, you know, this wasn't a franchise when it when it, when it it made its opening $91 million, but I, I can't imagine there's not going to be a slew of uh, follow-up stuff on this. 
which I'm fine yeah. with, by the way. Uh, uh, okay, so let's let's talk some about uh, just as a, a sort of a yeah. fantasy spectacle adventure story. Um, what did you guys think of it on on that level? Uh, adventure? Is that what your sure. question is? It's a fantasy story. It's an adventure. I mean, we all admired... The rules seem pretty fast and loose. Like, I know, I, it's your imaginary boyfriend. I can make, I can clone that guy a bunch of times. But then the mist thing, the mist couple gets murdered <laughs> by joy. Uh, and is it... So as an adventure, I said it was exciting. So. Is that important to you, Kelly Wan? Like that they are kind of making up a bunch of this stuff as they go, and some things they're more meticulous with than others. Like was that was that uh, a liability for you? Uh, as far as like, as far as your questions concerned, like how was it working as an adventure? Like I think for adventure you have to have rules and stakes, and like oh they could fall off the cliff okay. kind of thing. But you know we're inside. These are all psychological kind of things. So. Because for, for me, where those rules did fall apart, and it just seemed like, oh, they're going to make a stack of imaginary boyfriends and then hit the trampoline on the fantasy right. island, on the family island. Um, for me, it was just so darn imaginative that I couldn't have cared less if, that it felt like they were making up stuff as they were going along. Uh, just the fact that there was a payoff like that with the imaginary boyfriend. I mean, and that was great to have in Imagination Land, you know, her imaginary boyfriend. That, that was funny. It, they they decided to make it figure into the mechanics of how they escape. Um you know, I, I, I liked. Oh, go ahead. Like, I like the. I was just saying, I really like. Okay, you uh, go. For I'm instance, sorry. the the using the mechanic of the you know to get the train going, she had to be awake. So how do they wake her up during a dream? You know, they play with this idea of dreams <laughs> as movie productions. I couldn't have cared like the rules. You're right, fast and loose. But holy cats, what a great opportunity for some of the movie's best gags. For instance, you know those movie posters of uh, I can fly. Something's chasing me. I'm falling into a very deep pit. You know, these are productions that were put on there uh, that uh, they had seen before the teeth falling out. You know, that he was bored of that. Um, uh, just the, the imaginativeness of creating, you know, of, of dreams as being like movie productions, uh, I just thought was fantastic. Yeah, that part's good. I, I, totally, I, I totally agree with that. And, and <laughs> the thing about this is, and this is this is a rare thing for me to say, I, I don't really mind. Uh, I don't really mind bending or absence of rules in a certain situation in this in this particular movie, uh, because this is taking place within the synapses of this girl's brain. This girl's growing tumultuous brain in a huge conflict right now so as they're trying to get from one place to another as joy is trying to lead sadness across this bridge or over to this precipice or all around through this maze of this of these brain passageways and as neural pathways in this girl's real world are being fired off and changed and sometimes created in her real life it's okay for me if the rules are somewhat fungible here if the if the train runs a certain way at a certain time and then it runs a different way at a different time in this particular world which is the world of her brain i mean you brought up um spike jones at one point and that's i think a really astute observation to, to call this sort of a a, a kid's level or, or a, you know a gateway drug to spike jones movies um because you can kind of see this idea of of that whole abstraction section is a 
in a larger sense, what is going on in some of the brain parts of this movie is that these things can change because our brains change as we go through the day, whether we alter them ourselves or whether they're altered by the chemicals in our bodies or the, or the hormones that are being pumped into us or our emotions. So that some of that, some of that was changing and, and modifying and also evolving as she learns to survive this new environment she's thrown into was fine with me. And I think the movie handles that fine. It doesn't, it doesn't try to use it to get away with just anything. I think everything exists within parameters that lead us down a certain path. Um, so for, for that case, I think it works fine for me. Here's a question I do have, though, at a mechanical level. Um, so I, I understand like the part of the, the mystery, if you will, of this movie as you're watching it uh, is what, you know, why is sadness in here? Why, what is the role of sadness? What is the point, even though she, she doesn't mean, you know, she's not malicious or anything, but yeah, why not draw a circle and say, sadness, you stay here, don't touch anything, you know, we don't need you, just, just stay away from everything. What's the point of sadness being in here? And, and part of the movie's mystery is unpacking that, is unfolding that. You know, why is sadness in there? What is her role? What is she going to do? Uh, and I think that the answer ultimately, an important part of the answer, is that sadness is partly for empathy, uh, is to understand yeah. other, other uh, ultimately people, but other... You know, it, it is, sadness is there for empathy. Here's what I didn't understand, mechanically speaking. So anger has the idea, yeah, let's run away back to where we built these core memories. I'm going to screw this little bulb into the console. How come sadness was the only one who could get it out? Like, could unscrew the bulb and, and turn her back from running away back to Minnesota and going home? Like, is there an explanation for that? Because that's the thing I was kind of left wondering. Is I understand the movie is about, you know, what's the point of sadness? Part of the answer is sadness is there for empathy, but how come sadness could unscrew that bulb and no one else could? And is there even an answer for that? And am I silly to wonder? Because she's empathizing with the light bulb. <laughs> huh. Okay, so yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I think it has more to do with the the concept of homesickness um, and how okay. homesickness isn't always the. The idea of like, boy, I, I was having so much fun at home. It's it's just this feeling of, I I miss. That's the something. domain of sadness, and, basically. Okay. Right, and and when you miss something, it might be you're missing the happy thing that you miss, but the feeling that you feel when you miss something is a very strong pulling that is that is that is lower than that, and I think that that's that's kind of what might be going so on. So that there. was yeah. So actually I will accept that ding. Is it uh, Kelly one ding is answer was way better than yours. But it does sound like <clears throat> yeah, like sadness is the one who can control that part of the console. Is this idea of let's you know, let, let's run away. I'm going back to get better core memories. Once that these core memories become kind of tinted with sadness's color, she's the one who can ma manipulate that longing, I guess. All right, I'll accept that. That's but, what I meant to say by the way. But when I talk about homesickness in this particular case, it's her new home, and and what's weird about this, and what's what's so, I don't even know if you would call it bittersweet, is that what Riley's going to have to realize on this bus ride is that she misses what she has to make her new home. I want to go back home. It, this is now my home. And there's a certain sadness in making a new home. There's going to be joy there. But there's a certain sadness because you are losing your old home. And she has not yet lost that. She's kept it. She's kept it alive inside of her. 
like, I'm going to go back because that is actually my home. And so her homesickness is about her new home. And so there's this whole great thing going on here of multiple sadnesses that the, the way that the movie touches on that. And I love that you brought up empathy because I didn't even think of that. And I should have because of that bing bong scene. Um, that's a perfect way to put it, Tom. Uh, bing bong was a little too... I mean, I guess because he was the creation of a little infant girl, but Bing Bong, he was a little, he was a little too uh, kiddy for me. I mean, as much as I hate to say this, I was kind of glad that they left him behind in the core memory dump area. I'd... No, it was, I was sad. I mean, yeah, it was a sad moment, but I, uh, it was a little too goofy for it... my taste. I just could, yeah, I couldn't see the whole. I mean, I've never, I never had that kind of a, like, a, he's part dolphin, part. Bear, uh, or whatever. I didn't. So you know what that dolphin thing made me think of, Dingus, which is part of my problem with Bing Bong. What? Oh, I do know. Horrible Andy McDowell moment in Hudson Hawk that you think is yeah. funny that I don't like. Uh, yeah, the moment <laughs> Bing Bong does this what? little dolphin noise, I was like, ew! It just made my skin crawl thinking of Andy McDowell making dolphin noises in Hudson Hawk. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? That's true. That happens in Hudson Hawk. Yeah, she starts to speak like a dolphin. Do it look like a? Do you like like a damsel in distress? It's really a shame that Andy McDowell doesn't have the comic timing of Mark Feuerstein. That's all I can say about that. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I can't believe that just happened. All right, here's another pro- here's a problem I had with this movie that I think is a grave issue. I want to know what the hell is going on over there at Pixar that they think they can get away with this, and who do they think they're fooling to represent as a beloved pastime hockey? Seriously, what? Hockey. What? What's wrong with that? Nobody yeah. likes hockey. Nobody <clears throat> cares about hockey in America. It's like a Canadian... It's an insidious Canadian... She's from Minnesota. No, it's an insidious Canadian agenda. And just because it bleeds a little ways into Minnesota, I don't know who they're fooling by pretending that kids love hockey. If I was if I was a, Only... a, a, an executive at Disney, I would have been like, nope, changes to baseball. We are not putting hockey in a, in a movie for a... a, a you know, maybe in Canada, sure. We are not Canada. We are America. Fix this. Make it baseball. Oh, she wouldn't have been homesick a, if it had to be snow-related. A thousand movies about baseball. Baseball is such a snore. Yeah, it is. Hockey's way better. You can score accidentally. Oh, Come on, God, Tom. You guys are hockey apologists on this podcast. I'm really disappointed in well, both of you. it's snow. It's seasonal. Baseball, she wouldn't have been homesick. She could have just played baseball. She just played school. hockey here just fine. Apparently, there's hockey leagues in, in, in hockey leagues in San Francisco. No, it's because she mentioned it in class. They went, oh, it sounds awesome. And then they imported Nobody the hockey Nobody likes race. or cares about <laughs> hockey. And nobody's going to set up hockey teams Minnesota. in San Francisco. Once you get more than like 30 yeah. miles from the border of Canada, nobody's caring about hockey. I think she just moved back home after all, and that's when she, where she's playing yeah. hockey at the end. Uh, but you're blaming Pixar there for not correctly representing America. Guessing kids are okay. I, I believe Pixar. There's some sort of insidi- insidious Canadian agenda that's infecting someone at Pixar. I can't believe that got through. The kids still play baseball though, because they play soccer, dude. That's the. Oh yeah, that's you really another, want to see yeah. playing soccer. Yeah, we don't want any of that FIFA stuff infecting kids. I guess it soccer could have been worse. Moms. Yeah. I don't know. You know what? I'm not a sports guy. I don't know. I'll take you guys' word for it that, yeah, okay, fine, hockey, whatever. Well, I, don't, I don't care for hockey personally. I don't, I've never gotten it because I could never ice skate. Uh, I don't get it. I mean, I, I love basketball. I, I like soccer a lot. But I, I couldn't. Ugh. 
hockey I would never get, but I totally bought it in this. I'm funny I didn't even question it right, at well, all. Pixar's gotten through to Dingus. We've already lost you to Pixar's Canadian agenda. All right, Dingus. What, what I like is that they didn't choose something like football, which is the quintessential American sport right now. I mean, it used to be that baseball was the American pastime, but right there's now... There's no grace in Professional football. football. Well, there's no grace in it, but... There's there but there is some grace in it. There's power well, in it, but it would have been a statement to have a girl playing football, and, and that I think would have gotten wait, clunky I have, when I have got a real question. Play. Girl, I mean, this I don't mean this to come across this way, but girls can't. I mean, do girls play football? Is this is it's just me being ignorant about sports? But girls, there's, is there girls football? Not really, not so much. I mean, there's every now and then you see a big story about a girl who's a who's a field goal kicker or a kickoff specialist who is really trying out for the college team and everybody hopes she has a shot for dudes like because i know there's women's basketball i'm assuming that hockey is separate for male teams and female teams is that correct uh in some cases and in some cases not for soccer either i mean there's girls soccer teams and boys soccer teams but sometimes they can be blended um, I've known people who've played on, uh, you know, girls who've played on the boys' soccer team because there were no girls' soccer teams. And uh, my son's soccer team has a couple girls on it, and they're one of them is the best player on the team. So uh, I can totally see it being a co-ed sport as far as uh, hockey is concerned. And even, I mean, she bumps into that dude at the end of the movie in that one of the funniest yeah, I agree. moments. That was one of my favorite gags too. Yeah. Um, but so there is no, like, there's really no. Pre- like is sort of sexist as this is like women just don't play football for the most part there's no organized women's football they're really no not in the level that there is there's no pop warner for girls that i know of no women wouldn't watch women's football why not kelly wand because i think it's dumb well i think it's dumb but men still play it I think it's dumb for boys, um, but I'm just glad that they didn't do that kind of thing that where they're trying to make a feminist statement they just had her playing a game and i didn't even question it I also didn't even. Yeah, she's. <laughs> I, and I love the fact that it was uh, about a young girl too. Like I didn't question. I, I mean, I just yeah. it, this could have been a story about a little boy, and I, I. And she's an athlete. And I, I do think there might be. But like I, Dingus, I, I think you said, and I wonder how common this is that. Well, either, either you mentioned that you were worried, or he said something to you. But is it an issue for little boys going to see a movie that's about a girl character? Uh, for uh, sometimes it is, but but more in the the sense of going to go see it. Um, like when we went to see Brave, I think he he was a little bit like, yeah, okay, there's a girl, uh, and that's what the movie's about. But once he's in the movie, forget it; doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I, I just love that Pixar is making uh, you know adventures about girls with Brave and this, uh, just fantastic. More of that Pixar, keep it up. Yeah. And you know, even the the last couple of Disney movies, like Frozen and Tangled. Well, those are princess. I mean, there was those are... like I mean, the, the princess movie is an established genre. I guess in a way, Brave. Right. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, Brave. Brave pretty much is because she's the daughter of the king. That does technically make her a princess. Dingus, you're right. Yeah. Wait. But if it's a, if it's a really good movie and it's a pretty good adventure, he's gonna he's gonna like it regardless. But I wonder, is there somewhere in Disney where there are people who are considering greenlighting projects where one of them might have suggested, you know what, we might have more appeal or we might make more money if Inside Out has a boy character. I don't know if that's the case. Um, I'm sure that's... Yeah, but a boy's head wouldn't even have four voices in it. Just have like... if, if... One, two, three, uh... not only you and me, got 180 degrees and I'm caught in between.
perfect. Carolina, I can't believe you cut us off at that point. Yeah, I can't believe it. Yeah, I can't believe it since we haven't done over under yet. Yeah, Kelly Wand. Boys head. <clears throat> Wouldn't have four voices in it. That was Britney worthy. Oh. Kelly, you're in control of the transition. I got nothing to say about that. Yeah, and Kelly, we I haven't have? done our over unders. What's the matter with you? I'm an idiot. Well, Kelly, give us your over and under first. My over for Larry Gay male flight oh, right. attendant. Oh, right. Should we do both of them? That's right. I didn't do that. So I'm sorry. Yes, your Larry Gay over and under. Go ahead. Is the third man, because that's also about mistaken identity, and my under is Citizen Kane, because I predicted the ending, like the second the movie started. Uh, Try harder. Right. Dingus, do you have over and unders for Larry Gay? Or you, you... Yeah, I do. My under would be uh, Anchorman, the legend Ooh, of Ron ouch. Burgundy. Were you bracketing, or you were just taking something uh, like, way, way worse? No, no, I was, I was bracketing, because I remember liking certain aspects of Ron Burgundy, and then as I watched scenes from it this week... I realized I was wrong. Really? I did this not like up. anything. From, I mean, I really hated Anchorman. I mean, from the there's so much to to hate about that movie. I know that I'm in the minority, and everybody thinks that's the funniest movie ever. But I can't Genius, stand let me it. Tell you though, so you the, haven't seen nothing yet. You need to check out Anchorman Two. Yeah, I, I, I just can't do it. After watching the after watching the trailer, what they did with the trailer. Hey, stupid. Stay classy no, or whatever Dingus, it is. Bring on the pain. You just need to sit. You know what, Dingus? I'm going to make you... I'm going to find some excuse for us to do an Anchorman 2 podcast just because if I had to suffer through it, you should have to suffer through it. It's seriously uh, painful. Right. right. So I my over... My over would be Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Ouch. Um, I, because the, at least there's that moment where he's uh, with that first woman and he's hanging from the door jam or like the that that, <laughs> that the folding above the door jam yeah. thing and she's giving him a blowjob and he's just swinging around and going whoa whoa and that made me laugh so much there's so little in that movie that's good but that moment made me laugh to tears and uh, nothing in uh, larry gay renegade male flight attendant made me so laugh i just so want to say this real quick just as I think that Dwayne Johnson is a better actress than, Her- than actor than Harrison Ford, I feel that Mark Feuerstein is a better actor than Jim Carrey. Boom. Boom. That's right. Boom. I said it. Boom. And that can be a recurring theme. Yeah. If you guys want to make an issue out of it, that's fine. I'll defend that on this podcast till Kingdom Come. Uh, I. Yeah, I think I, you're right. I I'm afraid I didn't you. think of an over-under for, for Larry Gay, so I'm just going to say... I'm gonna steal Kelly Wan's answers because they are because I didn't think of it. I just couldn't make any sense. So Citizen Kane and the other one and Third Man, I'll just pick those. I don't like Citizen Kane by the way. I don't get why people like Citizen Kane. Whatever. All right, Inside uh, Out, Dingus. What are your over and your under for this? What? All right, my under for Inside Out would be um, Ratatouille. Uh, well, because I really, really liked Ratatouille a lot, and there's this sense of uh, a creature controlling another creature uh, under his hat, um, which ah. when I was thinking about things that made me, and I, unfortunately both of these are animated movies, and my first one's very obvious, um, and th- that sense of what memory, the importance of memory because of the end moment in Ratatouille. Oh, uh, right, right, with the critic. And yeah. the critic eats it, and he's zapped back into into that part of his childhood that was so important to him. Um, I really like Ratatouille quite a bit, but I would put it a little bit underneath Inside Out. Actually, I would 
put it pretty far in me because I, I really did care for this movie quite so a then bit. So what would your over be? Uh, Sounds like this was not an easy task. Are you going to pull what Kelly and I did with uh, Fury Road and say there is no over? <laughs> no, I am not going to do that. In fact, I never will. Um, no, my over is, is a movie we've mentioned a couple of times, and that would be Toy Story 2. Um, and what I was going to ask before you jumped, before you guys jumped to the 3x3, three three, uh, or the, the Britney Spears thing, is um, would, to, would the Toy Story, would the three Toy Story movies, imagine how different they would be if it had been a female in those parts, in the part of the main character that all the toys are revolving around? Um, it, how different would it have been if it would have been that much different? Because uh, I'm thinking about now, as we talk about different parts, like we talked about with Spy, we talked about with um, Fury Road, like, is this, does this part, or there's another one, uh, oh, Tomorrowland, does this part have to be a woman? Is, is, is it strictly feminist that it is a woman? Could this have been a man or a woman? Those types of things. And when I think about the Toy Story movies, under that context, I kind of start thinking about, what if that had been a girl in all three movies? And would it have meant as much to me as a man? So anyway, uh, because of the message, and you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, you can just go back to that, because the message of Toy Story 2 hit a little closer to home. It's just slightly above Inside Out for me. And I would say if Toy Story the series had been about a female character, it would have been drastically different, partly because of the nature of, of what toys women play, girls play with versus boys. Um, and even how they play right, right, with exactly. them. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. We don't talk about, we don't talk about Bo Peep. Why not, Kelly Wand? Is that a forbidden subject? Yeah, and what is he doing with a Bo Peep doll? Was that his sister's? Wasn't that part? No, I think it was just one a leftover from from a younger time. I mean, his toys kind of stack up over I think the that was years. His and she. Okay, it was his sisters. Uh, my over and under for uh, Inside Out are also just very closely bracketed. These are all three movies that I love, but if I had to order them in order, my favorite would be Brave, my second favorite would be Inside Out, my third favorite would be Up. All movies that I'm hugely, hugely fond of. Uh, I respect how subversive they are. I adore the, the message that they're each telling. Uh, and I, I love how smart all three of those movies are. Um so I absolutely endorse all three, but if I was forced at gunpoint to rank them, it would go Brave, Inside Out, Up. Um, so there you go. There's our over-unders. Um, let's... You did three over-unders? Nope. I... Did Kelly already do Inside Out? Oh yeah, Kelly won. No, but Kelly won. I did an over, a middle line, the movie we're talking about, and then an under. So I did yeah. three movies. I just incorporated the movie we're talking about as one of the three dimensions. I didn't mean to confuse you there. Uh, yeah, so Kelly, one, you did not do an over-under. What are your over and under for uh, Inside Out? And do they involve Orson Welles movies? Yeah. Yeah. My over is... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. My actual over is Fantastic Voyage, and my under is Fantastic Mr. Limpet. Is it Fantastic Mr. Limpet? Are you sure? Incredible yeah, Mr. I think Limpet. I got the title wrong. He's incredible. Uh, and do you have more to say about these, or should we do a 3x3? Three by three? Let's do 3x3. Three by three. Three by three. I'm already bored. Davis, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? What the heck? And I, 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 you just, you really made this difficult. And so I basically... How did I make this difficult? Well, he, he kind of alluded to the fact that he wanted, that it, when he introduced the topic, he didn't really want it to be about bank robberies or heists. But I don't, there's no other reason to have a bank in a movie, for Pete's sake. Yeah, but 
Yeah, but that's why I decided I not to make that manipulation. Kind of I, 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 I didn't want a huge heist just to rely yeah, on a bunch you kind of, of dropped the, You didn't throw the gauntlet down, but you sort of coyly dropped it. And I couldn't pick it up. I tried. But all of mine are robberies or heists. So thanks, Dingus. All right. All right. Uh, one of mine. One of mine is a robbery. Uh, but I, I left behind heists. Right, well, Dingus, what is... But yeah. these are just these are scenes that take place in banks, and there are other reasons to go into a bank other than to take money from it uh, by gunpoint. All right, well, let's find out what those are. Not in movies, there aren't. Okay. Okay. Oh. All right, who's who's giving our uh, who's giving our three by three next week? Kelly, it's your turn, right? Yeah. Me. So Kelly, Wan, you start us off. Yeah. What is your third favorite scene in a bank? My number three bank scene is from the Richard Pryor film Some Kind of Hero, where um he's like a Vietnam vet who keeps getting screwed over, and then he goes to the bank and they deny him a loan, and then uh, he's all all right. Well, this is the day cool things start happening to Richard Pryor. And then he turns to walk out, and then bank robbers come in, and then they rob the bank. And then I think, wait, no, that's Dick and Jane. Dick and Jane, they take a loan out, and the bank robbers come in, and then they take the money. Why are you, why are you money, talking about multiple robbers for your number three? Yeah, Dick and Jane might have been my number one. Oh. Well, you guys just sounded like you had heard enough, so I kept talking. So, some kind of hero starring Richard Pryor, in which he's not robbing the bank, but it gets robbed. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. <laughs> it was the first time I'd seen a black man in a film about a bank robbery not commit the bank robbery. Uh, what happens during the bank robbery? And does he does he is some kind of he goes hey I should he he realizes wait I should start robbing banks and stop being the fucked over. That's true. This is like a movie about Richard Pryor yeah. robbing banks inspired by him being in a bank robbery? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is some kind of hero. And then he has sex with Margot Kidder. She's like a prostitute. Wow, okay. So that also inspires him to rob banks, too. Uh, who and who directed this movie? I don't remember. Some guy. Uh, my number three <laughs> pick, and again, I thought... I mean, I guess they're... Going into a bank for a loan. Now I'm thinking of other scenes. I wish I'd thought of that. To get money from a bank, you See? have to rob it or make a withdrawal. You can go in and try to get a loan. You obviously, there's not much you understand about money. That's why you need me and Dingus to help you. I should you. have thought of loans, because now I'm thinking of scenes with loans and people being turned down for loans. Dingus right. said it couldn't involve a loan, Shoot. <sighs> All right. Michael yes. Pressman directed well, it. Well, my number three pick Something. is... Uh, and I feel, I mean, I, this is like an easy pick. My number two and my number one, I, I like a lot more. But I was just thinking, what's a great scene in a bank? And the fact that in Dark Knight, we are introduced to the Joker. And we don't even see the face. Like that whole bank heist in the beginning of Dark Knight. Uh, where everybody's dying one by one. You're thinking, what's going on? Who is this guy? Why is he doing this? Uh, and plus, we get William Fickner with a grenade in his mouth. Uh, that in and of itself, I think... Which I know that's your long, that was your deepest fantasy during the last. I'm very ambivalent about that imagery, but uh, it's certainly memorable. Uh, so that is my number three pick: is the opening of, of Dark Knight. <laughs> Ding. So heist. Well, it, I mean, seriously, like it's a loan. A heist is a loan. It's they're a loan taking out a loan. They're not going to pay back. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Well, you yeah. Put it that way. Right. Uh, all right. So, Dingus, two of yours you said are not robberies. That's right. Wow. All right, so Dingus, what do you got for your number three pick? All right, my number three pick is a movie that Kelly Wand forced me to watch. 
Mm. Um, and here's a quote from it, Mr. Wand. Do you know a Mr. Wells? Oh. I don't remember the scene, though. Time after time, time, after time right? Time after time, there's many bank scenes. Mary because, Steenburgen works um, in a bank, right? Mary Steenburgen yeah. works in a bank. In fact, what she has to do is she has to exchange this, this, uh, these, um, I don't know, guineas that they're bringing in uh, from England across time uh, so that they can have money to spend in New York. Uh, and so the scene in particular is when um, um, David Warner, sorry, uh, comes in and, he, and he's got a couple stacks of money and H.G. Uh, Wells, played by Malcolm McDowell, has told her after they've had some time together and H.G. And, uh, Wells is staying at her apartment, if he comes in, let me know. And so uh, David Warner comes in, puts two stacks of guineas there and says he wants to exchange them with her. She goes over to this phone over at the bank counter and calls her apartment um, and H.G. Uh, Wells picks up the you know, Mickey Mouse phone and tries to figure out how to work it and says, I'll be right down. And of course, David Warner figures out what she's up to. Uh, but I just love that whole thing where she's sitting behind her desk. I, I like all the, the, the scenes in that. And uh, I was reminded of that earlier uh, by somebody else. Cause I had, a, I had a couple other ideas for bank scenes, but this is the kind of thing I was looking at that um, one of the main movies I really wanted to include a lot of the scenes take place in a bank, but they might as well be in an office building. Right? None of it is particular to a bank. But Mary Steen, this has to be a bank. This is where Mary Steen. And is that why works. they meet her? Is because they're trying to, to change these guineas into modern currency? Right. Exactly. Right. Huh. Exactly. See, it's kind of unfair because you guys watched that movie for the podcast. I haven't seen it since probably it was in theaters. So you guys, I feel like cheated. Right. That's true. Hmm. All right. Well, Kelly. Yes. Wait. Does he? Does that line refer to? Does he go? Do you know Mr. Wells? Is he talking about Wells? Is that a Wells Fargo joke or an H.G. Wells? <laughs> Not a, yes, it's a Wells Fargo joke. It just happens to be that the man chasing him across time is H.G. Wells. <laughs> of course, because she says something about the hotel he wound up in, and he's clued into. Wait, what? She she makes a slip up, and then he realizes what she's been doing, and and he, he she and he says he told you to hold me here, didn't he? He told you to detain me. And she just kind of sits there and goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he takes off and then he comes back and he says, and he like zips into her ear and says, you tell him that I better get that key or whatever is going to happen. Because he wants the key that, that, that operates the time machine, of course. If I was him, I would have moved that time machine into where the bank vault was going to be later and then fucking. Carry one, that's the you know premise of, uh, of Now You See Me. <laughs> Very good. Travel on it. Very good. Uh, by the way, did you guys see Mary Steenburgen in Last Man on Earth? That that Will Forte series. I didn't watch. I didn't watch enough of it. Right. You kind of. You told us not to watch okay. it. She, she's. Uh, I mean, she's still incredibly lovely. Uh, I, I like her quite a lot. I also recently watched. What's that thing with Jack Nicholson where? Uh, they're gonna hang him, but you can rescue someone who's being hanged by. Oh yeah, going, going south. south. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, is horrible. I don't know why I ever liked that as a kid. Yeah. But she's so adorable in that. That might have been her first movie. John Belushi's good in it. Uh, okay, if you say so. I mean, he's just hamming it up, but whatever. If that's what you're looking for, Kelly Wand. It's not that good. You're right. Uh, Should be better. Well, I remember, yeah, as a kid, I think my father really liked it. And so for that reason, I thought it was a good movie. Um, it's kind of repetitive. 
And Jack Nicholson, because didn't Jack Nicholson direct it himself? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. he was a little too fond of himself. That was a little bit too much of a vanity project thing. Um, but, you know, it discovered Mary Steenburgen, so it can't be all bad. That was his uh, Paul Gay. Paul Larry Gay. Gay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Paul Gay, renegade male flight detective, right? And there, yeah. and there was never enough making. There was never enough gags about his name, was there? I find those funny. I yeah. knew you'd say that. I'm gay. Yeah, I could, that's funny. I could not have found them more tiresome. Are you gay? Are you gay? Are you gay? How many people? Who's gay in here? I, that was hilarious. In a room full of flight attendants, dingus, dingus, you're you're humorless. Boy, that's low hanging. I can't think of the word. And he didn't raise his hand. Yeah, he's the only guy to not raise his hand. In wait. Because he has headphones on. Ha ha. See, dingus, how multi-leveled the joke is. There's a lot of complexity and nuance to it that was lost on you. I've got the only bathtub in this complex. Ha ha. That guy was funny. Yeah, that guy was great. You throw in the good acting under yeah, the bus. Dingus. Did you remember? Did you even recognize Tay Diggs in that movie? Uh, why would I recognize? What would I recognize him from? Why do I know? Do you, know, do you, know, you even know who Tay Diggs is? Yeah, yeah. What do we know him from? I mean, I know who he is, but what have we seen him in? Isn't he in one of the Resident Evil movies or something? He's been in a ton of, a ton of what stuff. Do we know, what do we know him from? I don't know. I just know him. He's super... He's, but did you recognize him in this not, movie? I did not know... If, if you were to tell me who was Tay Diggs and Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant, I w- wouldn't know who it is. I know him from High School High and... Um, what, was he unrecognizable and in the that, movie or something, Dingus? I certainly, I certainly didn't remember until I looked it who up. Who was he? Uh... It, let me let me just say I can tell where you're from. What part of Canada are you oh from? Oh my God, that's hilarious, Dingus. See, see, Dingus, you're just making see how yeah, dumb Dingus, he is. You're just making me and Kelly Wand like Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant, even more. Thanks for reminding me how exactly. funny it Thank was. You, Dingus. Keep him coming. I should I should what have chosen MacGruber as my over or my under, and that would have been just as equally insulting. I think this level, Kelly Wand, and you would have probably I suspect you might agree with me. Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant, is kind of on the level of MacGruber, isn't it? I agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm raising my hand. I'm gay. Yep, and that they're they're too good for Dingus. Yeah, Dingus didn't he get them. He needs to go back to movies like uh, High Times. He liked your highness. Your highness. Though. That's what I was thinking of. High Times. Oh my god. High Times. I love High Times. Oh, back to yeah, you. All right, Kelly Wan, what's your second favorite bank scene in a movie? High Times. Because it's set in a different time. And they get period, high. Is why it becomes. They get high, and it's that's set in a true. different time. Ergo, High Times. Did you ever see How High with Method Man and Red Man? Where is. they smoke a magic weed that gets them into Harvard because the weed's no, so good? No, but sometimes I look at what time it is and it's 420 and I'm like, haha. It's Hitler's birthday. What? I found that out the hard way. Oh, yep. well. 420 is Hitler's well, thanks birthday. Thanks for taking the humor out of that. So I was going, around, hey, 420! And then everyone's like, Scheisenweisen! That'll, that'll actually happen. My number two for Banks, though, is the movie Silent Partner with Elliot Gould as a bank teller and Christopher Plummer as a bank robber. And, um, I don't want to spoil it, but it's the ending so of the movie. So that's my number one pick, is that final scene in Silent Partner, oh. which I didn't remember. So I remembered really liking Silent Partner as a kid, and I remembered really being surprised by how dark it is. What I did not remember, yeah. and I literally laughed out loud. I, like, guffawed. I could not freaking believe that final scene because uh, I did not remember that and I can't believe I didn't remember that and I don't want to say what it is uh, so have you have you seen Silent Partner recently Kelly yeah or yeah. wait uh, 
Uh, it's been like ten years. Well, it it, it really holds up. But oh my god, that final yeah. scene! I I I was just flummoxed. I could not believe that. Um, it's such a great ending. It really is. Yeah. Um, and it's like a what would I do if I was smart kind of ending. Dingus, do you know Silent Partner? So this is a 1978. I- don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, so uh, it, it was actually originally like a, a, a Danish novel, and it was adapted into a, a, a Danish movie in 1969, I think. And then in 1978, uh, a guy named Daryl Duke, uh, who I think did a lot of TV, his other main claim to fame is a movie called Payday, which is this tour de force with Rip Torn as this burned-out, drunken country singer. Um, so after Payday in 1978, this guy Daryl Duke... Uh, directs a movie from a screenplay adapted from a Danish movie of a Danish novel. The screenplay, written by a young fellow named Curtis Hansen, um, no. is about... Uh, so it, 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 it starts off wonderfully. It's, it's a really well-paced movie. Uh, it starts off mm-hmm. with uh, a bank teller, kind of a nebbish character, discovering through a couple of fortuitous but still plausible developments... Uh, he basically realizes that the bank that, that someone is going to come in and rob the bank. So knowing this, uh, he stashes away the money in his drawer for himself, so that when the bank robber comes in, he will only take some of the money, and then he, played by Elliot Gould, by the way, will be able to take the bulk of the money. Um, However, the bank robber, played by Christopher Plummer, and it's a fantastic Christopher Plummer performance, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously is wise to the fact, because he's timed this robbery, uh, after a certain guy comes in and makes a big deposit. Um, So he's obviously aware that, hey, this teller did not give me all the money. Um, And, by the way, when he robs the bank, the alarm sounds, uh, and he he has to flee the scene. Um, So the teller becomes kind of a media hero. He's interviewed on the news. Suddenly, all the people at the bank are paying attention to him. Uh, the girl he likes at the bank is kind of back into him. There's there's a lot of interpersonal dynamics with the people that work at the bank. Uh, so, it's about this ruthless bank robber and this kind of nebbish teller uh, becoming kind of, not really partners, but they've both robbed the bank, but the nebbish teller has the money. The ruthless criminal needs to get the money from him. Uh, and it's got some great cat and mouse, like the developments between the two of them, uh, there's stuff in here where they're outsmarting each other that you could only do in more yeah. cerebral movies. Um, it's a really, really smart movie. Uh, it is kind of like Time After Time, oddly. But it is all about robbing the bank. But yeah, what's distinct about this yeah. bank is a couple of things. First of all, it's a Canadian movie, so it's really weird seeing all this Canadian money with the Queen of England on it. Um, but this is a <laughs> bank in a mall, so it has this very fishbowl quality to it where it's behind glass and there's constantly people out front. Um, everybody can see through. You know, the people who work there are kind of on display. It's a very, very public place. Um, and there's some cool stuff with, uh, like, procedural stuff with how the bank runs and how they set off alarms. Uh, they play with, as I mentioned, the, the different people who work at the bank and their dynamics amongst themselves. Uh, but after this you know, 90-minute cat-and-mouse episode between these two characters, which is really good, and, as I mentioned, gets really mean-spirited, by the way. There's some really grim stuff in here, which is kind of funny, because it's a Canadian movie. You know, it starts affable enough as a, as a standard thriller, but it gets... As a yeah, caper. As a caper, and it gets really dark. 
Um, and in the final scene, which Kelly Wand and I both picked, it's my number one pick, it's Kelly Wand's number two pick, uh, where they're finally meeting to hand off the money, uh, there's something in the scene that I don't want to say because I want people to watch this movie. It's on Amazon yeah. Instant Watch. It's just, I'm afraid it's not on Netflix. Uh, but if you can find Silent Partner, the finale is, ju- I, like I said, I just, I couldn't believe it. It, it was amazing. Yeah. I want Dingus to see it. I do, too. I want everyone to see it. Everyone listening, uh, just, yeah, that final handoff is, I I just, I don't don't know what to say about it, Uh, but it was my favorite thing. I think Dingus will like it, and I think, I feel bad, because we keep, we've made Dingus watch Larry Gay, and (laughs) pilloried him for liking Jurassic World, so if we give him Silent Partner, we'll be like, we're night, we're all friends. We'll make up for it, yeah, sure. Uh, all right, so Kelly Wand, you stole my number one pick for a, a favorite bank scene. Huh. And neither of us even spoiled it, which is even weirder. Well, and that's the thing is, I, I knew that it was a great like, the, the you know the the interplay amongst Christopher Plummer and Elliot Gould as far as this money. Like, I knew that that was a cool thing, and I, I specifically watched it thinking, is there a great scene in a bank? Like I said early on, it's a weird bank because it's in a mall. But that finale, yeah. I just was like, oh yeah, there you go. That's my favorite yeah. bank scene right there. I'm amazed, Kelly, one that you have one that's better. I look forward to hearing what it is. But uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for the time being, so Silent Partner is also my number one pick. It's my turn for a number two. My number two mm. pick, um, there, there's a, a Roger Avery movie called Killing Zoe, uh, starring Eric Stoltz mm. uh, as a safecracker. Um, and he flies to Paris uh, to hook up with a, an old friend of his to rob a bank. Um but what's unique about this movie, uh, Roger Avery wrote it specifically, like he wanted a really, really nihilistic bank robbery movie. Uh, so one of the things that um, the lead character, Eric Stoltz, finds out before they rob the bank is the guy with whom he's robbing the bank, who is completely a psycho, uh, also has AIDS. Uh, so he's terminally ill, basically. Uh, and as the bank heist starts to, it's basically they're going to go in, they're going to, uh, you know, it's, it's Bastille Day, so everything is closed but this one bank, and they're going to lock down the bank, take the people hostage, and then Eric Stoltz is going to go downstairs and get into the vault. Uh, so the way the movie progresses is that while everything is falling apart, uh, and the, the bank heist is going wrong, and people are dying, and the police are showing up, and it's just going completely out of control, the whole time Eric Stoltz down in the vault has no idea all of this is happening. And Killing Zoe kind of unfolds on two different levels. He's just down there doing his job, and every now and then his friend will come down and lie to him and say, yeah, everything's fine, just keep carrying on. But then upstairs, everything is falling apart. Um, So I think my favorite scene uh, in this movie is when things downstairs start to fall apart. They, they, They open the vault, and they discover there's a guard inside who's locked himself in there. Uh... And how they have to deal with that guard is just kind of really grim and dark. Uh, and it's it's one of the more nihilistic moments in the movie. Uh, I really like that part of Killing Zoe. Uh, so there's my number two pick. Has either of you seen Killing Zoe? No, oh, yeah. I, I went to see it when it was in theaters. I remember being kind of disappointed by it. Um, I guess because I was... Cause, cause Avery was known for writing with Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, definitely. And... and so I was looking for something like that, and that isn't what this movie is necessarily aspiring to be. Um, it's got a weird structure too, Dingus. Like it, it really, yeah, it's, yeah it really it's, does. You know, he meets this prostitute, and it's kind of about his relationship with this prostitute, and it turns out she also works at the bank, and that's 
in a way, it's it's not really a love story, but, you know, Eric Stoltz and Julia Delpy, their relationship is this weird kind of, like, development that's really important in the story, and, you know. And I remember, and did you, did you, have you watched it recently? No, no, not in probably three or four years, yeah. I just remember as much as I liked Julie Delpy, I remember that at that time, it just seemed like they had such a halting relationship, and maybe it was just this weird language barrier between them, that it just seemed like, it seemed so awkward You know, David, I, I know what you're getting at, but I like to think of it as, Eric Stoltz is kind of a, a weird guy, like, um... Like, yeah. Eric Stoltz always seems like he's a little too cool for the rest of the room. Like, I get that kind of vibe from him. Um, not always. That's, that's a little unfair. Um, but there's definitely something weird with his relationship with Julia Delpy. Uh, yeah. And yeah. maybe part of it, yeah. too, is this whole idea of, like, a prostitute and client thing. Like, it's... Yeah, it just... I just remember feeling awkward about it when I saw it, and it just not meeting whatever expectations I was going in there for. But I've always kind of been curious about whether... Uh, I just saw it at the wrong time in my life. Well, it's no before sunrise, as far as romances <laughs> with Julia Delpy. Yeah. Very good point. Uh, Dingus, what's your number two favorite bank scene? All right, here's a bit of dialogue from it. <laughs> Does this look like gun or gun? Oh, I didn't see that coming. Gun. Oh, my God. See? But what does abt mean? What? what do you mean, what? Please, Kelly Wand. Have I seen this? Please. It's bananas or take the money and run or Annie Hall. Or it's one of those <laughs> things you were scared to ask about sex, but whatever. That's a great title. You were scared to ask about sex, but whatever. You were scared to ask. Oh, about everything sex. you didn't know about sex, but were afraid to ask. But were afraid to ask, right. I oh, so your yes, title. Obviously, this is uh, this is take the money and run. Yeah, um, so, so that, and that Larry is... Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant, that's not funny. But boy, early Woody <laughs> Allen, that stuff's hilarious. Uh, it is a little trying to watch it again, and uh, I did watch it again this week. Um, uh, but watching it and and getting in, you know, at the the beginning part of it is just so funny. He's just so funny. Uh, even at, at that young point in his filmmaking career, when he's when the takes are a little too long and the gags are a little too long, that's um, still very funny. The movie starts to drag a little bit. Some of the gags get replayed, but then watching Larry Gay, I'm like, man, take the money run is so fun. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, that scene in the bank that and this is the only robbery scene I use, um, but it isn't like a high tech crazy heisting kind of a robbery it is him right you know scrawling a note over at the stand where you like write uh, deposit slips and then handing it to the teller and then this protracted scene where everybody in the bank who works at the bank can't read the oh, that's note. right i am remembering that yeah, as far as drawing the joke out i am remembering that but it, i don't you know what i kind of think like in remembering it in my imagination that must have been funny right that, that works yeah Oh, it's hilarious. It goes good. on and on and on because, I mean, the first part of the joke, you think this is the only joke that the teller gets the note. He can't read it. Right. Uh, you say you have a gub, and then he calls over the, the next teller, and the next teller comes over to help him read the note. And the, 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 the joke starts to be that some people can read gun, and, but other people think act naturally says apt naturally. Like, no, no, that says gun, but what does apt mean? And so, so, um, <laughs> So Starkwell has to, his last name is Starkwell. Oh my Starkwell. god, you remember Woody Allen's name from Take the Money and Run. 
Absolutely. He's like, no, no, that's that's act naturally. No, that's gun. It's definitely gun. Can we see the gun? Here it is. And so then they take him into the office, and the president of the bank looks at it, and eventually the entire staff of the bank is looking at the note, and they're arguing because half the people think that the N for the the N and gum gun looks like a gub, and act looks like abt, and they just argue about this and argue about this until finally Woody Allen has just been arrested. They just go right to that. Okay, that's funny. I'll buy it. I mean, but, that is a classic Woody Allen scene, isn't it? Like when people think of early Woody yeah. Allen, that's one of the classic scenes, right? Yeah. Yeah, and there's a f- bunch of funny gags with him because he he's chosen a cello to play, and he plays it in a marching band. <laughs> so when they're going <laughs> they're going in the parade, he has to take a chair and he runs down the street, puts the chair down, plays a couple of notes of the cello, then picks up the chair and runs down the street and plays it a little bit more. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of take the fun, take the money and run. That's funny, um, but this is just a movie, an early movie that my dad watched and would just. He just thought that that whole I, I have a gub thing was just the, be- the best thing that was ever made. So that's my, my second favorite uh, 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 scene in a bank. So Dingus's dad convinces so, him to take the money and run is funny. Mine convinces me that going south is funny. I think Dinger, Dingus got the better deal here. Wait, you didn't think going south No, funny. I didn't. I still don't. Yeah. I like that both the typos are bees, too. Like they add bees, which doesn't look anything like... Absolutely, and that's what the that's what the disagreement is in the in the room. Tom, that was making me laugh just him describing it. So it's probably pretty funny. I I don't disagree. Yeah. Why do you hate Woody Allen? Because he's married his own daughter. Please, come on. What? That's funny too. (laughs) Kelly Wand, what is your favorite bank scene in a movie? She's only his daughter by blood. Not true, but still gross. Number one bank scene is in the movie Breakdown with Kurt Russell. He, uh, they have his wife hostage. J.T. Walsh has his wife hostage. And they think that Kurt Russell's rich, but he's actually not. So they make him go into a bank to take money out, even though he has no money to take out. So he has to go in and like think on his feet and like pretend to get a loan and stuff, even though he's really just there to waste time. So that's my number one. So what does he do? Like he, does he come out with the money? I'm not going to tell you. It's too good. That's in breakdown. Yeah. It's a really good corner the writer wrote himself into. So I don't want to ruin it because I was impressed by it. Who directed that? Is that the guy who did U571? What? Probably. I like no, that no it can't be. That's uh, shoot. I can't. It's the guy that did one of the Terminator movies. What's his name? Oh, all right. Maybe Jonathan. Mosdale yeah, Mosdale or yeah, something. Yeah. I don't know who did Breakdown. No, it's not Mosdale, but it's like that. Okay, one who directed Breakdown. Breakdown was directed by John Carpenter. It's not true. It is Jonathan Mosdale. Dingus was right. And you were wrong. Oh, okay. I like that Terminator 3 one. I think it's a bad rap. I think it's we'll funny. We'll see if it uh, compares to Terminator Genesis later this summer, won't we? <laughs> I think it's funny. The thing you prize about it is that it's a comedy. <laughs> Yeah, remember he puts on the funny glasses, and then he does it in this one. It's like, everybody seen that joke? Terminator Five. Does it? In- Ugh, I don't want to see that stuff thing. From the Terminator Maybe movie, Killing Wand. The old one. Oh, I thought you were Terminator. I thought you were saying he does it in this movie. Uh, he puts glasses on. Right. We don't. We don't need to know stuff from the trailer for the Terminator movie. But thank you. We have to see that, Kelly Wand. The only, the only redeeming value for the Terminator movie that's coming up is that there might be cool action sequences or jokes 
that are in the trailer that well, Dingus and I will discover because we didn't watch the trailer. Ooh. Ooh. It like looks like that. every other Terminator movie ever. We didn't need to know that. You're That's robbing right. us of the joy, the only possible joy we might get from seeing this crappy Terminator movie that's going to come out. Yeah. Well, you need you need sadness and joy, Tom. To it is something that we learned this week. So that's right. All right, my in. favorite bank scene was uh, Silent Partner. So, Dingus, that's you. What is your favorite scene in a bank? All right, my absolute favorite scene in a bank, and this happened fairly late because uh, I was working on a couple of other choices that I was going to make, um, and and this one just sort of popped into my head when I was thinking about one of those choices that I'll talk about as a runner-up a little bit later. Um, and I, I think Tom will definitely groan at this, and perhaps Kelly will too. Um, and this is the run-on-the-bank scene from uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, no, I'm sure that uh, my, my, if my grandparents were alive, they would love this pick, Dingus. <laughs> this scene makes me, I mean, even watching, I didn't watch the whole movie this week, but I just watched this particular scene from It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and it just brought tears to my eyes yet again. Not that that's difficult to do since that happened to me in I don't know, Inside Out as well. Um, and happens to me in a bunch of movies. Uh, but it's this beautiful this beautiful scene. And, and I should have thought of this early on. I should have thought of this immediately. It's an obvious pick because It's a Wonderful Life. The, the family runs... A savings and loan, which is, you know, essentially a bank. Um, they run, they run the 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 little uh, the little bank in town that competes against the big bank, and then ultimately competes against Mr. Potter taking over the entire town. And they they their idea is to teach people that look, if if you invest in, you know. Kelly's house and Tom's house and and all of these things are going to give you an, a return on your investment um, and and this is how we build our community this is how we locally work this is how a local bank works and it's this beautiful sort of idea and um, and just as uh, George Bailey and his new wife Mary are about to go on their honeymoon with this huge stack of cash that George has saved for this trip all across the world um, there's a run on the bank because it's right about at the time of the depression, I think. Um, and so George, they're, they're really, they're just on their way out of town. They're, they're, they're in the taxi cab heading out and they see like people running across the street, storming the bank, storming the bank. And he runs up and he finds the doors locked, which is, which cannot be done during business hours. And he goes in and his uncle who is supposed to be running the bank in his absence is hiding in the back, drinking out of a flask. And he's like, uncle Billy, what's going on? And he's and it turns out that the bank, the the bigger bank, called their loan and he had to give them all their cash. And now customers won't have any money to withdraw. And if that happens, then there's going to be a disaster. And so George lets all of the people in. George, played by Jimmy Stewart, of course, lets all the people into the bank and and he assures them, look, this is going to work out, but we have to be calm. And then the mean mean old guy, Mr. Potter, is offering everybody because they have shares in this operation 50 cents on the dollar on their shares if they take their shares to the savings and loan over to mr potter he'll give them 50 cents on the dollar for their shares and then at least they'll have some cash but then he'll own all of those houses so this is like a mini mortgage thing that's about to be crumbling in this little town where george has made this great low-income housing thing that's not a slum and 
the people are panicking, and George is trying to calm them down and saying, look, we just have to believe in each other. We just have to work this out. And people are like, well, if you're not going to give our cash, we're just going to run over to Mr. Potter. And George jumps across the counter, and he closes the door, and he says, people, don't do this. Your money's not here. It's in this guy's house. It's in that guy's house. That's why we're doing this. And people are like, but we need money to live. You have to be able to give us some of our money. And then his wife jumps up behind the counter and she says, we've got plenty of cash. And she holds up the money. She's been looking forward to this. This is their honeymoon money. She holds up this money and she says, we've got money. And George jumps over the counter and he starts to give people money, but not all of their money. So he's like, please, what can I give you to tide you over? Because if we can all weather this, then we will be fine. And it's this great sort of sense of community and this local hero, this local guy who is so important to the community um, and his wife sacrificing their lives and their hap their current happiness in order to make this community thrive uh, through the through this little local bank. I, I just love that scene so much. It drives me crazy. That's why we have no more mom-and-pop banks. Yep. And that's why we can't have nice things. All right, Dingus. It was a wonderful life. Back then, sure. You could get away with that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. The depression was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dingus, what do the listeners have for us? All right, so our listeners. First of all, we have Mr. Paul Weimer. Sorry, I was so excited about talking that I forgot to look at the... All right, so this favorite scenes in banks. No heists. A number three, in The Bourne Identity. An early scene in a Swiss bank with Jason Bourne and his safety deposit box gives him some clues to the amnesiac Bourne as to his identity, but also a whole passel of new questions about who about who and what he is. I love that pick because I remember reading The Bourne. This is me talking, Christian. Um, I remember reading The Bourne Identity as a kid and reading that whole sequence where he goes into the Swiss bank and he has to remember the, um, the signature and all of those things. I love that sequence in the book, and I really like how the movie, re uh, the movie re realized. Yeah, that's another thing besides you, you can have in a movie, besides robbing a bank. It's like discovering something in a safety deposit box. Yeah. Right. Right, yeah. Uh, so Paul Weimer's number two. In the movie Big, the now adult Tom Hanks very shyly goes to the teller with his still young best friend to cash his first paycheck. Well, I forgot this, Paul. This is great. Yeah. The teller's good natured ex exasperation at being asked to produce $87 bills and count them out makes the scene. Uh, number one for Paul Weimer is in Brewster's Millions. The eponymous title character shocks a bank president when he turns down a high-interest-bearing account for his new $30 million fortune, wanting a savings account with no interest. It's an early indication that Brewster understands the convoluted rules of the contest he is engaged in better than his handlers might have anticipated. Best regards, Paul Weimer. I never saw Brewster's Million. It sounds like something Kelly Wan's seen several times. Yeah. Yeah. Pryor, he has to spend the money. It's pretty tough. It's hard to spend money fast. <laughs> Next we have uh, Ladnar Savat. Greetings. Long time no 3 by 3 submission for old Ladnar due to a short stint in faraway lands where I was forced to watch cable television and eat frozen burritos daily. Lucky for me, I had you guys around for company at least a few hours a week. Uh, getting back on the 3 by 3 horse with Banks... Seems pretty open to interpretation, and maybe you guys did heists before. Sadly, of the first three that came to mind, all but one is a heist of sorts. Getting on with it. Number three, Drag Me to Hell. 
You shame ah, me. That's a good one. The atmosphere of the, atmosphere of oh, the yeah, money, power, and monumentally crappy workplace are monumentally overshadowed by the are momentarily overshadowed by the plight of one old woman and her dentures on her knees. Um, Brenner from this was the ridiculous nosebleed on the desk after being cursed. Yeah, I cursed. forgot she works in a bank, like Allison Lohman. Is that the actress Kelly Wand? Yeah, that's yeah. That is a bank-centric thing, isn't it? Lorna Raver is the old woman. And then, I, did, uh, I did not see that movie. You didn't see Drag Me to Hell? You horror movies, Kelly Wand. Unless uh, I, I, I'm not allowed unless to. we compel him to do it, he will not see a horror movie. Uh, hmm. Interesting. Uh, Led number two, Thief. Uh, I assume maybe someone brought up that other Michael Mann movie about banks, but I just watched this again recently and was surprised by the amount of bank vault porn in this movie. Just long shots of hard safe drilling and hot, drippy vault doors giving way to steaming rods. Is the other Michael Mann bank movie collateral? Who knows? You gotta open the safety deposit box with the right key. <laughs> uh, Ladnar's number one is Sexy Beast. Gentlemen, you're all cunts. The titular scenes of the bank robbery are some of the most claustrophobic and anxiety fueled of any film. It takes the high pressure, high stakes atmosphere of the heist underwater with electrifying results. Great way to culminate the slow, fast. The slow build, fast release pace of this movie, and since seeing it, I keep an eye out for spas and Turkish baths near banks. Never seen one, though. Glad to hear you all back in one place, and thanks for keeping the international podcast kicking. Randroid. I don't know what Ladnar's issue is with cable TV and frozen burritos. He's make, he made it sound like that was some sort of an exile or banishment or something. I know. I don't know what happens. Maybe that's maybe that's some sort of a sentence where he comes yeah, from. I think cable TV and frozen burritos are perfectly fine. So <laughs> next we have Arthur Jovangeli. Uh That's right, Kelly. Number three, the bank job. After tunneling into a bank, the thieves gleefully raid the safety deposit boxes. I enjoy how they pick which ones to open and how not all the boxes are filled with monetary valuable items, such as treasured pair of underwear. Number two, Boogie Nights. Don Cheadle tries to get a loan from a bank to open a stereo equipment store, but is unsuccessful due to, to, due to a dispute over his profession. That's one, yeah, that's the one I'm definitely remembering. And there's another one I'm remembering where somebody's trying to get a loan for like a, a fire truck or something. Does that ring a bell for you guys? Yeah, that's yeah. called Ghostbusters. No. They try to get a loan for a fire truck in Ghostbusters? No, I'm just kidding. Pretty got fingered. No, it's some movie where someone has a plan. It's something to do with fire trucks. And I seem to recall the point of the movie is that it was a lame-brained scheme. And he goes in to try to get a loan, and they turn him down. Backdraft. Oh, wow. A loan for a well, fire truck? Something... Oh, shoot. No, I'm on... Towering Inferno. You're going to have to work on that. I really am. But it made me think that that Boogie, Nights, that Boogie Nights scene is the same sort of thing with Don Cheadle. That's a good pick, Arthur. Yeah. Well, I like Arthur's number one, too, actually. I didn't think about this. Number one, out of sight. George Clooney holds up a bank teller by falsely claiming he is working with another man who has a gun in his briefcase. This whole robbery is a reaction to being offered a job as a security guard by Albert Brooks, who, is Cl who Clooney met in prison. The attempt is made in anger, but Clooney is very calm. I love the image of him playing with his lighter until he decides to go for the con. You remember how he's just like pointing to this guy who's not even working with him? I do vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I really like the I really like the tension in that scene. That's it. I really like that. Steven Soderbergh, right? Uh, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I really like that movie. But that's I a great. Remember the story. lighter and mystery train. Next we have Dave Perkins. Hey guys, first time writer. I hope you like my name. We're not falling for it, Dave. Dave. Sorry, we recognize yeah, you. Nice yeah, I've guy. seen that guy before. Yeah. I know who he is. Yeah, we've seen that guy. Uh, number three, my wife, whose name is Pat, and it, no, it isn't Dave. Uh, who are you, Dave? What are you doing? He's wearing right. a terrible my wife. disguise. We can see right through it. My yeah. wife. I know. My wife. Yeah, it's not Pat. We know her name is not Pat. Uh, digs the scene in Tommy Boy, where Chris Farley enters a bank in downtown Chicago, super anxious to locate Dan Aykroyd, and yells, Excuse me! Everyone falls to their faces, and handguns from security officers slide across the floor toward his feet. They've done this before. <laughs> oh, really, Dingus, really. You think Tommy Boy is funny, yet you couldn't appreciate the, the comedic joy of Larry Gay, renegade male flight attendant. But you're going to laugh at Tommy Boy. I think, I think Tommy Boy is funny because we've laughed a thousand times about the uh, the candy under Tommy the Boy, dashboard. All time. Tommy Boy has great casting. It's funny. It's great. It's vintage Chris Farley. It's great David Spade. Um, yeah, suddenly... Your head, your, your head has a candy shell on it. Great scene. <laughs> Dave Perkins, who's never written in before and whose name is Pat. Uh, number two, a couple of days ago, me and... Pat Shell listened to a stand-up comedian joke about how it used to take police so long to respond to bank robberies. In the old days, the bank robbers would dress up in bow ties or bowlers and make sure that everyone knew their names before they left. There's a scene in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? that shows this. I love how the robber is outraged when a lady in line whispers to her neighbor that he has a baby face. My name is George Nelson, he shouts at her, and he leaves the bank dejected. Finally, Dave Perkins says his number one is, I admire the bank robbery scene in Dog Day Afternoon most of all. Mm. It's not all Richard Nixon masks and choreography. There's a moment when one of the three robbers says he can't do it. He can't even point a gun at the guard, and Al Pacino lets him leave the bank. Leave us the car, he says. Well, how am I supposed to get home? Take the subway. What a great little conversation. All right. Enjoy the rest of the letters. Carrington Spade. He signed it Carrington Spade. What? <laughs> Submitting math videos has made Dave's brain turn to mush. Next, we have Nick B. <laughs> Hi, guys. Number three, the Bourne identity. I love the scene where Jason Bourne goes to the Swiss bank and opens his safety deposit box to learn that he is a spy. He's shocked and scared reaction to the passports, and the gun is part of what makes this movie work so well. Nick D's second one is Catch Me If You Can. There's a nice scene where Leo DiCaprio charms Elizabeth Banks, no pun intended, sorry Kelly, by posing as a pilot and offering to take her to a steak dinner so he can get close to her and learn the secrets of forging bank checks. Her surprised laugh at being flirting with is so goofy. It's easy to remember her even though it's a tiny role. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Banks Elizabeth Banks is surprised at being flirting with. Yeah, that'll be the day. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Whoa, there's a dude flirting with me, huh? This must be such a new yeah. experience for her. 
I forgot that I, I wasn't a big fan of Catch Me If You Can, but I, I didn't remember Elizabeth Banks. I actually know Catch Me As You Can primarily. I, I saw the movie, but primarily from that guy's book. Like, he wrote a book, and the movie was based on the book. And there's some fascinating stuff about how uh, he used the really antiquated banking systems to steal money, including, I forget the specific gimmick, but the way that the mimeographs used to work, like with carbon paper. Um, there's right. great, like, procedural stuff for how to rip off banks in the 60s. Wouldn't work anymore, but if you could travel back in time to the 60s, this guy has some great tips for how to rip off banks. Right. I really did like that book a lot. I remember Tom Hanks Hanks leaning out of a window and going, Hey! Nick D's number one movie. Out of sight. Out of sight? S-I-T. Oh, out of sight. Okay, out of sight. Technically, this is a heist, but I love the opening scene where George Clooney robs a bank with no gun. Just by taking charmingly, just by talking charmingly to the bank teller, he even asks asks her, "Is this the first time you've been robbed? Don't worry, you're doing great." I do love that. I love the way he talks to her. Um, sorry, I, I I read out of sight wrong because Nick's. Oh, uh, Nick, please. Uh, but the way he describes that, I forgot that that's the way he talks to her. Is this the first time you've been robbed? You're doing great. Because it reminds me of Tom Cruise in Night of Day encouraging her while she's driving the car during the chase. You're doing fine. You're doing fine. Uh, so cheers, Nick. And that's all we have for our listener submissions. Do you guys have any runners-up? So that made me think of the uh, – it's kind of sad, and I don't remember the specifics of why. But in, in The Line of Fire, uh, John Malkovich, in setting up his assassination attempt, has to open a bank account. Um, and he – goes to the bank, he opens the account, and the woman with whom he's opening the account asks him a question, like it's just in the, in the course of chit-chat, and he realizes, because he's got to cover his tracks, that because of the questions that she asked, that this innocent question that she asked, that he has to murder her. Oh. So he starts flirting with her to get her name and eventually ask her out for a date, and then to murder her. But I remember that being kind of like chilling and showing you like how ruthless he is as the, as the villain. Um, but this poor girl has no idea. She's like, oh, you know, when, when, uh, was it Arthur or Dave, whoever mentioned Elizabeth Banks being flirted with, uh, I just remember, you know, John Malkovich realizing, oh, great, I've got to kill this woman. And he starts flirting with her. And I think, you know, in in the movie, this means he now has to kill her. You know, he's doing that because he has to gain her confidence so he can murder her. Not cool that he even has to get her name too. It's really rude. What's the worst uh, part? I wanted to rewatch, but didn't get time. Um, Inside Man, because I recall liking that quite a bit, and the kind of reveal there. Um, yeah. yeah. Jodie Remember Jodie Foster's character ruining that movie? I Why did she ruin it? Like, because she just kind of swoops down, and she's kind of like, "Hey, I'm in charge of everything." And then she she's a it. renegade female detective. <laughs> she didn't do. Anything. Isn't Denzel Washington the cop in that? Uh, yes, he is, but you can... Didn't you ever see Quick Change? I was I was wondering nobody Bummer. picked that one. Yeah, the clown bank robbery. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that movie very much, but what I love about it is beyond what goes on in the bank robbery. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Like, we're I not, just we're love not everything. picking necessarily yeah. robbery scenes. It, has, it should have something to do with the bank. Like, if it was a bank robbery scene, absolutely dog day afternoon, hands down, but, you know, I don't know that it necessarily has to do with the bank so much. Well, I don't know. I don't want to second-guess anyone's picks. I, I love Quick Change. I think it's a beautiful movie. 
And I like I do like that trailer moment where it's like, what kind of clown are you? Crying on the inside kind, I guess. I had the mask and also Frozen Assets with Corbin Burnson and Shelley Long, where they inherit a sperm bank. Your movie library is amazing. Your mental movie library, you have, you're like the Cinemax to our, I don't know what, like AMC and HBO. I have no idea, but you're amazing. Kelly Wan is a Cinemax. Dingus, you're AMC, and I am... Stars. Thank you. I'll take that. I'll definitely take that. Uh huh. Wait, is that a bad thing? No, it's not at all. No, it's okay. not at all. I I'll just, I just love that Kelly Wan Tom's can. Tom's QVC. Separate. Kelly Wan, there aren't even movies on QVC. I know that much. Please, uh, nice try. Tom Spike, because it's the video game show. Are there movies on Spike? I don't know. Here you don't we have it. Here. The, movie really the movie I really wanted to have cool bank scenes was You Can Count on Me. Um, That's what I was thinking. Does and, she work in a bank? Is that? Yeah, she works in a bank, and Matthew Broderick is her new bank manager, right. and he's like the hard case, and she's a single mom, and the the first day he's there, she comes in, and and she's like, you know, Larry, when he was here, he would let me leave. I would leave at three fifteen every day to go meet my son at the bus, just for fifteen minutes, get him to the sitter, get back here. I'm really only gone for about fifteen twenty minutes. And he's like, well, I know this is a small town, but. I really think we should operate this bank as if it were the best bank in the state. So people leaving at 3.15 or 3.30 or whenever for 15 minutes just isn't going to work. So I need you to find other arrangements. And she's like at a loss. She's been meeting her son at the bus every day, every day after school for the last three years. And this new dude is just like, nope, can't do it. Can't leave here for 15 minutes. She's like, well, but I, I moved that time away from my lunch period. No, my lunch my lunch break. Nope, can't do it. And so there, there's a number of scenes that take place in the bank, but really, if you break it down, they're really just office scenes. Yeah, and he's such an ineffectual – like you even call him a hard case dingus, but he's pretty soft as far as hard cases go. Well, yeah, as it turns out. The one out, I love yeah. is he, uh, he asks them to use less harsh colors as, on their monitor color schemes. Uh, right, right. And then somebody changes all of the colors on his Red. monitor and he freaks right. out. Uh, yeah. uh, all right, so uh, Kelly Wand – didn't Cat in the Hat work in a bank? Couldn't tell you, Kelly Wand. Uh, I did have a couple. Oh. There, there was one other. And since you brought up Billy, Billy, so you just brought up Bill Murray, I think. Who well, brought quick Bill change, Murray? Bill Murray. Yeah. Uh, quick change. Thanks. There's this movie called Saint Vincent, um, and there's this short little scene that I almost included, uh, where you know he's this this ne'er do well who lives next door to this single mom and her kid, and ends up looking after the kid, and of course. He, he takes the kid on all these inappropriate adventures like going to the racetrack to win a bunch of money. And when they win a bunch of money, they tear off away from the racetrack to get away from uh, his bookie who he owes a lot of money to. Um, and you think they're just going to go off and party or whatever. And what they end up doing is going to the bank. So Bill Murray opens an account for his quote-unquote grandson and half the winnings that they just won at the track, like $2,700 or something, go into his kids, his grandkids' uh, bank account. And it's this great little scene. It's just a cute little scene. Of course, it gets subverted later on when he removes all the money to gamble I again. I can see that coming. He, yeah, I know. But at least he, he goes there, and, and it's like, oh, they're in a bank. Why are they here? Oh, that's what they're doing. Um, so there's that. All right, Kelly Wan, what are we doing next week for a 3 by 3 And how can listeners, listeners participate? Three best scenes involving masks. 
in honor of Halloween being just a few months away. And the listeners can participate in this exciting shindig by emailing their cho- their chopics to <laughs> Tom. Stop making me say things with numbers in them that I have to remember. Four words to the to the email address 3x3 at quarter to 3.com Kevin wonder what movie are we seeing next week next week we're seeing Rage of Angels starring Jacqueline Smith from 1984 what? Wow. nope do you want to try again or should we have someone else introduce next week's movie Face of an Angel ah, very good why are we seeing that Kelly Wand because it's Michael Winterbottom. Well, because we didn't have a lot of and choices. Also, yeah, because none of us really cares to see Ted 2. Yeah, I don't want to bust my Ted cherry on the second one. Or the first yeah, one. Yeah, I don't necessarily recommend it. I'll wait until number four. You said to see Ted, and then whoa, I watched whoa, whoa, the very I ending. Never, and I, I, no, was I would good. never tell someone. You I would did. never tell you. much. I would never tell anyone to watch Ted. What are you talking about? You think I told you to see you Ted? You did, and I went... Yes, and I go that end. I go. I saw the ending, but it wasn't that good. And you're like, "Yo, that part's not good." I told you to see it's better. Ted? Really. Yes. You, you know what? Maybe you I would have thought you that. would like it. That might be what what's happening here. Why? Because he smokes pot. It is about a stoner teddy and, bear. Yeah. That's not kind of good, actually. All right, we'll go see it. Let's see that next week then. Well, yeah, no, no. We're, yeah, Ted we do two. not want to see Legalized Ted. Two. Uh, we don't want to see Max, which is this thing about a dog from Afghanistan that has PTSD. Uh, I forget what the other options were. <laughs> Dog story is already sad enough. They have to. He has to get shell shock too. You know what? I I love that they had that dog in Zero Dark Thirty. That's I don't need to know that the poor dog then goes home and has PTSD. Um, do you guys remember? Oh, it's that. No, no, dog? no. I'm just assuming it's something like that. Uh, what was the name of that dog, by the way? Do we know? There's a name like we. Shot. No. Leica. You don't know. So, there, yeah, there's that dog, that, and it's in the movie. There's the dog that went on the raid uh, to kill Osama bin Laden, and it's in the movie. And it, it's in the movie. Point, it's in the movie, I tell point you. We knew its name, but I've since forgotten it. So, anyway, we're just going to take a gamble. There's a new Michael Winterbottom movie that's out for video on demand called Face of an Angel. I couldn't tell you the first thing about what it's about, who's in it. Um, it's just where that much of a loss is for what to see. So... We're going to take a chance. We invite you to join us. See Face of an Angel. Listen to us, and we'll talk about a 3 by 3 with masks. Which, by the way, Kelly Wand, I thought you might want to elaborate, but just want to say no. that's not a bad topic. Good work. We'll see the last, goes. The last time we took a chance on a movie was Child 44. So that was not a chance. Here we go. I mean, wasn't that something opening that we wanted to see because Tom Hardy was in it? It was a very soft week. Right. And it was right after Zappy. I, I would want to see a movie with Tom Hardy in it. Like that would be a selling point. I don't even know who's in Face of an Angel. What's the last Winterbottom movie? That's a good question, Kelly Wand. Well, you know what? We'll have an opportunity to talk about that on next week's podcast, won't we? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, see, that's a cliffhanger. <laughs> ending. Okay. This uh, so join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. <laughs> I have been joined by uh, Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Morosky. Kelly Wand here. Abs naturally. <laughs> Did you hear me, Tom? I said ab naturally. La la la.
I don't remember that song from Larry Gay. Dingus, what should I do when I take the money? Can I say that curse word now? That's pretty edgy stuff.